I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, the boogeyman, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Happy Halloween, everybody! Yeah, fuck yeah! Back to the good holidays. Yeah, even though we took my kids to a trunk or treat okay. in my town square, and they had Halloween shit for the trunk or treat, but all the Christmas decorations are already up. Yep, yep, yep. That's, yeah. And I was sad, because it's basically like being in a Lowe's. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Come August 15th, Halloween's put up and Christmas is out. Dude, Lowe's. even like fucking dollar tree like there's christmas shit in the halloween aisle like come on <laughs> i know i know at least I'm, i don't shop at lowe's anymore because this lowe's <laughs> de- dead serious before the end of august halloween shit's gone and christmas is out home depot has two staging areas at least for halloween and christmas yeah and they got that like 12 foot tall fucking skeleton that's always sold out as soon as it hits the floor yeah yeah we my, still don't have one <laughs> my barber got one. Oh really yeah yeah you know their street address no, no. Oh. That'd be kind of creepy if I did. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> unless unless I mentioned being invited over for a Halloween party, that's fucking creepy. But we are recording this episode for you guys on October the 22nd, and it's going to be out either on Halloween weekend or Halloween day. I haven't decided if I want to wait till Sunday or put it out on Friday. <laughs> But if you paid close attention to the clip at the end of the last episode, you probably figured out what we were going to cover. And if you didn't, we're doing Rob Zombie's Halloween franchise. Got you, fuckers. And this episode is not going to go the way you thought it was going to go, or I thought it was going to go. And I'm going to surprise you, especially you. <laughs> By you. I'm pointing at Josh. I'm not pointing at you guys. Before I drone on for two hours about a film, we got to cover the boring stuff. Okay. Current news trimmed down again because of the time window here. The Resident Evil Raccoon City trailer's out. Yeah. And I liked what I saw. Yeah. I liked the amount of throwbacks to the game. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the actors that I saw there. So. Yeah, I didn't recognize anybody, but I'm still excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you about a couple of them later. I want to bore about it. The Scream trailer came out, like the full trailer. Yeah. I was excited about it. Apparently, Josh wasn't. I'm, 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 I'm scared, man. I'm scared. <laughs> I just think the Ready or Not people could do a good job. Because Ready or Not, I thought, felt like Scream when yeah. I watched it. And Kevin Williamson is the head producer. So let's just see. I, I felt like the characters were portrayed well for this being them 25 years later. Like, I'm Sidney Prescott. Of course, I got a fucking gun. Right? Yeah. It looks like it could go either way, but it, it, it looks like it may really hit on the camp of three, which if it's done well, that's a great thing. I'm just, I'm scared of it taking itself too seriously. It can't take itself too seriously at this point. I, I hope we get the first one vibe. My concern is I think I've already figured out who the killer is. <laughs> Huey from the boys is on it. Okay. And he wasn't in the trailer except for one quick flash. He's the killer. But what I'm hoping, <laughs> well, he's a star in this movie, and he wasn't in the trailer. Killer. But I'm still holding <laughs> out that it's fucking Deputy Dewey lost his shit. You know, it's about damn time, so I'd be okay with that, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Anyways, the Chucky show started. I have not seen any of it. I haven't seen a goddamn bit of it. <laughs> I think there's only one episode. But okay. for anybody that didn't know, because... 
we, we have a fucking horror movie podcast. I knew it was coming sometime around here. <laughs> I haven't seen fucking advertisements anywhere. I just happened to catch, wasn't even a, a Reddit mega thread. I just saw somebody reference it in another post. I'm like, huh, there is a fucking episode this week. Yeah, that's about the only shatter I've seen online. <laughs> so maybe we can help get some people to know about this. <laughs> and I also saw In Search of Darkness Part 3 is about to come out. So that's another five hours of my life I can lose. I still haven't watched two. <laughs> I haven't had internet for long enough to watch Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> you need a long fucking time. It's good. I mean, they. I don't know what 80s movies they're going to do. After part two, because they already went pretty obscure in part two. So it's a little frightening. Yeah, I think I think actually we watched most of it because because that's the one that just turned into like, here's an hour and 45 minutes on Italian horror. Yes. Okay, I I have watched it then. Okay. As far as announcements go, Josh and I talked about this and our normal annual break is coming up. Yep. And we feel like we're going to hammer out this badass Halloween episode for you guys. We hope it's a fun Halloween episode anyways. And we're going to go ahead and start our break other than our Christmas episode. But yeah, I don't want to fuck us for November, basically. (laughs) I had a rather ambitious idea for the next episode. And with Josh traveling and the holidays and all this coming up, it was going to be really hard to get it because it was going to need to be a two-parter. So we were going to have to record two episodes and get them both out in a three-week window. And that's not fucking happening We right can't now. get one episode out in a three-week window. <laughs> so I figured we'd take a break, refresh, and do a Christmas episode. Yay. And it'll be fun. I think we should maybe meet up and plan next season sometime in the break. Yeah. Ahead of time. This whole not having a producer thing sucks. <laughs> I'm wearing too many hats. It's getting a little hot in here. Anyways. Josh has an announcement. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I've been to Halloween Horror Nights. <laughs> he hasn't yet, but by the time you hear it, he would have been. Yay. And my wife is fucking awesome, and you, motherfucker, and your secrets. What about and, my secrets? And my buddy David and his secrets. What, what about? I didn't know my wife on vacation was like sneak calling people trying to get me to Halloween Horror Nights. No, what are you talking about? And nobody told me. These are lies. Are you running for office? They all did a great job of not telling me. And I'm not going to go this year. It was just a little too short notice. So hopefully next year she still has the same, you know, heart for it. And I get to go. Okay, okay. Updates and corrections. Always a pleasure when it's been three to four weeks. And I don't remember my shorthand. So, on the last episode, I said John Candy was offered a a major role and then asked for a smaller one, but I wasn't sure what the role was, and I said I'd double-check. It was for Mushnick, and he wanted a smaller role. And that's how he got his weird (laughs) show. So... There you go. Well, and that's like the thing for Ghostbusters, where like they wanted him to play the character that Rick Moranis ended up playing. And he's like, that's, that character's not for me. Like, I, I love that guy <laughs> for an actor to just be like, I can't do that. Even in a small part, like, right. no, I, I can't do that. Give me something that, that, that fits better for me. That's like so not a star attitude. You know what I mean? Yeah, makes, yeah. Just make me love the guy. Speaking of actors that I love seeing and shit, the reason Belushi had such a small role in the movie was because they had to do reshoots. Okay. And there was actually a different actor that played that character oh. and had more scenes and cut plot points. And the actor wasn't available for reshoots. Okay. So they called somebody they knew that would come in just for a day and, and do a scene. And it was bullish. He's like, yeah, fuck you. I'll come do it. No shit. As soon as I hit the part of the episode when I was editing it, where you mentioned the family guy somewhere that's green skit. Yeah. 
I watched it. And it's the show's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so anybody who hasn't seen it, even if you don't like Family Guy, as long as you kind of know that the old dude's like a creepy pedophile yeah. that, that wants Chris's ass, go to YouTube and type Family Guy somewhere that's green <laughs> and try to watch the actual somewhere that's green real quick on YouTube first. Yeah, and then yeah. just laugh your ass off. You had mentioned on the episode, Josh, that there was a song of Brad's cut from the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he sang after he found out Janice cheated on him. But it's actually a song he sings in the bed setting up from after he cheated on her. And Frank Furter's passed out in the bed while he's singing it. Oh, okay. And they actually filmed it. You can watch it. Okay. I wonder if maybe in the the stage show, because I remember I said that, that's the part of the movie where stuff gets out of order, and maybe that got me out of order. <laughs> Basically, they said it's like, it was the slowest, saddest, most depressing song in the entire fucking movie. And it like yeah. brought the whole vibe of the movie down. They're like, this has got to go. <laughs> and for the final update and correction, I thought this was hilarious. I was uploading the horror musicals episode and I noticed that I had fucked up somewhere in my template for the show notes. And I didn't realize that it said the history of witch films. <laughs> In the notes for several episodes that were not witch films. Oh, that's great. So it's corrected now, and I was going to fix it on our host, but it popped up this cute box that said, warning, this will show up as a new episode, and it was going to be for like six of them. Oh, Lord. So I said, fuck it. So a lot of them say we're covering witch films on them in the notes. It's not accurate. Yeah. So don't believe our notes. <laughs> It's not the short notes. It's the big one with the outline in it, which I'm not sure many people read because I'll get emails all the time. Like you guys should put in the notes what movies you cover. And I'm like, I do. And anything special. And then it's the name of the episode. <laughs> what? We don't put the actual movie. Oh, uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and you'll see a nice little fucking graphic. Yeah. About once a month. <laughs> <laughs> what we watched. Cause we got to hammer through this. Cause I have 47 pages worth of, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween notes. I'm exaggerating, but not a lot. First off, an hour and a half before it started in the theater around the corner from me, I found out they were doing a single showing of Scream in the theater. Okay. And I couldn't get anybody to go with me, including Josh, because it was too short notice. Yeah, it's a little busy. And I barely got there. But as I mentioned before on the show, I didn't see Scream until it came out in Blockbuster to rent because I was like, 15 or 16 or something when it came out. Yeah. So this is the first time I got to see it in theaters and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> Speaking of theaters, Halloween kills came out. It did. And I saw it and I thought it was fucking awesome. And then that Monday I went to, uh, to Reddit and realized that I think it's only children, but everybody hated the fucking movie on Reddit <laughs> and I have to get in so many arguments with these trolls and shut them the fuck down. Because they, they don't actually remember things correctly. <laughs> it fucking blows my mind. Yes, a little bit of it was out of place. I'm not going to spoil something that's only been out for a week at this point in time. There was 28 kills in the movie. I'm just going to say that. So it was <laughs> that was more like a Jason thing than a Michael Myers. But other than that, it was pretty true to form and felt like the 2018 movie to me. The main thing that irritates me, I'm not going to spoil anything, but Mikey gets hurt a good bit. 
And by a good bit, I mean like a lot. I mean, he got hurt a lot at the end of the last one. <laughs> a lot of it. And he gets back up and people get so mad and, and say, oh, but I thought we retconned the sequels out. So there's nothing supernatural about them. This doesn't make any sense based off the original. And the amount of times you have to go in and remind people that in five minutes he got stabbed in the neck, stabbed in the eye with a clothes hanger, took five rounds from a 357 at point blank range to the chest and fell two stories and got the fuck up and left. Yeah. And then they stop arguing. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, he was already superhuman to some extent. Yeah, they smoked too much weed, man. They forgot. <laughs> a fucking sick of weed. Anyway, so I've, I've ranted enough about this to people this week, so I'm not going to do it here. I finished Only Murders in the Building. Okay. It's fucking great. Still I mean, Steve Martin and Martin Short doing anything together is going to be great. But it was an awesome show. I recommend it. It's on Hulu to anybody who hasn't seen it. Ten episodes, true crime podcasters, comedy. It's great. Okay. <laughs> on Netflix, I watched There's Someone Inside Your House, which I thought was a decent slash reflect. It was nothing special about it at all, but I didn't feel like wasting my time. Probably never watch it again. <laughs> but there's plenty of slasher movies that came out in the late 90s and early 2000s that were I thought as good as this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it wasn't a scream, but it was an entertaining slasher. And I'll be honest, I didn't guess the killer until, like, the right before the reveal. Oh, okay. I watched No One Gets Out Alive. It was okay. I hear it's a lot like The Ritual, and it, it's actually kind of a spiritual successor because they mention, I haven't seen The Ritual yet, but they mention the three Swedish hitchhikers, blah, 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 on the news. So it's it's like a spiritual successor. It wasn't a bad, creepy little movie, but it, it it's another one that's like, I, okay, this is pretty good. I'll probably never watch it again. <laughs> but those are two new Netflix movies that came out for this Halloween season. So if you hadn't seen them, check them out. Creep Show Season 3 has started. It's been up and down. I feel like there's been more downs than ups. But there's some good ones in there. Joe Lynch's story, The Meter Reader, has been my favorite so far. Oh, nice. The I Know What You Did Last Summer TV series started on Amazon Prime. Oh. And they put the first four episodes up, and then you have to go week to week after that, right? Okay. And David and I started it right when we got back from Halloween Kills. And I was making fun of the beginning of it. You guys know, I don't think I know you, what you did last summer was a bad movie, but I don't think it was great either. Yeah. The only similarities is some teenagers accidentally kill somebody and cover it up and somebody comes back. It's, it's a, other than that, it's its own thing. Okay. Okay. And there's a, there's a twist that's a hook at the end of the first episode. All right. It's not horror, I wouldn't say. But the, the first one, the movie really wasn't either, right? Yeah. It, it's like, it's got some gory ass fucking clever kills in it. Okay. And you're just like, it's a whodunit. You're like, who the fuck's murdering these people? Definitely check it out. Episode five might be out by now. But like I said, it's on a week to week. I think there's going to be eight total. And I'm completely caught up on American Horror Story Death Valley for some fucking reason. <laughs> Which I still haven't started. <laughs> the black and white scenes that are like the flashbacks for when Eisenhower was president. Okay. And JFK and Nixon. I actually kind of like that part. And then it'll cut to like the fucking... Hey, college kids! <laughs> In the future, I don't give a fuck about that story. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's it for what I watched. What'd you watch? Um, I have a short list and didn't say much during that because, you know, no internet. Um, <laughs> so, a few months late, uh, saw Candyman. Okay, okay. <laughs> Finally. It was a miss for me. Seance, full-blown, <laughs> half-a-breath, meh. Um, Every time I'm flipping through Shutter, like, is there something I want to watch at the scene yet? That's always on the front page, and I... I've passed it. Should I continue? You should continue. Like okay. the first 20 minutes, it's like, this is going to be, oh. <laughs> <laughs> VHS 1994, dog shit taco. Like, 
I hated it, man. I hated it so much. I was so excited for it. And the day I was going to watch it, your wife texted me and said, Jesse, please save yourself. It's too late for Josh and I. And I don't know. Maybe I'll go back and watch it at some point, but I didn't want to jade Halloween yet. Um, and then uh, there's someone inside your house. The only thing I wrote down about it was not another scream what you did last summer teen movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just right, like, that's right. the total vibe I got. Now, the goddamn elephant in the room. <laughs> and once again, no spoilers. Halloween Kills. The Johns was my favorite thing in the movie. Yes, and even people who hate the fucking movie online, they all agree all the kills were cool to watch. The Johns are fucking bangers. Bring them back. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and that's the thing for me. Like, there's so many parts of the movie where if you just listen to the dialogue, it feels like it should have leaned harder towards camp instead of taking itself huh. so seriously in some parts. And the whole Quasimodo fucking bit, waste of screen time. I get it. It's the second movie in a trilogy, so it's going to be a little bit of a lull, yeah. right? Because it's it's your second act, right? Like, you don't you can't do the banger until the end. You at least grew it was fun, right? Oh, yeah. If you're worried about rewatching 2018 before you go see it, it's not a bad idea to do it. I think it's less necessary as long as you just remember where he ended up at the end. You need to watch 78, like the original <laughs> Halloween. There's a lot of shit from oh, that. Oh, yeah. And characters played by the same actors, except for one of them, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> but anyways, on to the show. All right. The movies that we thought we'd never cover. And I don't know if I want to go into Rob Zombie or not. This isn't a Rob Zombie episode. <laughs> we have to because. I, I have to go into him a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows Rob Zombie from White Zombie, the fucking metal band. And then he, I mean, he didn't go solo. He still has a band. But then he, he was Rob Zombie. And he got into making horror movies because he's been a horror movie fan since he was a kid. Obviously, his fucking band name was White Zombie. Yep. You've probably seen one of his movies. House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, all sorts of this giant list. I go on and on. But most people should know who Rob Zombie is at this point. And I'm going to go into his career slightly to say how we got here to Halloween. <laughs> he was real big in the metal scene. Big musician, wanted to get into making movies. He started making music videos. He yep. actually was a production assistant on Pee-wee's Playhouse yes. before his band made it. And he was getting a pretty big presence. And, well, no, he was a big presence. He's a powerhouse in the music <laughs> scene. And he was able to use that to get into making music videos. Pivot. And then he used that to get into making his own first film, House of a Thousand Corpses, which I'm sure we'll cover one day. But, I mean, that movie, he made it. He wanted it to be a certain way. He had to keep making concessions. And Universal Studios paid for the whole fucking thing to get made. And then they watched it. And they're like, whoa, this is a lot rougher than what we do. We fucking paid for this? And they <laughs> dropped it and released the whole thing to him. So then he got picked up by MGM. Yep. And they paid for him to edit the fucking thing. And... He was getting interviewed somewhere and accidentally got himself fired from MGM because <laughs> he was like, yeah, he was he was on like an MTV show or something getting interviewed. I don't remember what show. So somebody correct me there. But he was getting interviewed and he said, yeah, Universal Studios dropped me because their morals were high and they couldn't release something like this. They said, so I guess MGM doesn't have any fucking morals. <laughs> so I woke up the next day in every headline. I saw variety. Somebody sent it to me and it said, Rob zombie says MGM has no morals. And I was fucking out. And then Lionsgate told me no a bunch of times. And eventually they said, yes, <laughs> but he released it and it did well. And then he made the devil's rejects. Yep. Which was a, a very well-received film, even by people that hated this first fucking movie. And it's a very well-made film, to be honest. Yeah. And awesome movie. 
from there, he started getting calls to, to make movies. And he said in a couple of interviews, people kept calling him for reboots and remakes. And he's like, I don't fucking want to do that. I just don't want to do it. And then like, like just shitty ideas that he didn't want to do, which is funny that he said that. And I'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And um, like I said, Rob Zombie, huge horror fan, always has been. And when I heard that he was going to be doing the reboot, I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. And I didn't even really know his other movies so much that I was just <laughs> like, this guy's obsessed. If somebody's going to do it, it's got to be him, right? Yeah. And he has been noted on several interviews before he did this, saying that he hates reboots and remakes and that era of filmmaking, and that he wouldn't do it. And like I said, he was turning them down. But Bob Weinstein called him into the office. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. It didn't go that right. His brother was in the room. Apparently, like, there's rules. If, if, his, if his leash is on, he's got a shot collar, right? But Rob said on one of the interviews that he sat down at the table, and he's like, Bob, if you fuck around with me one more time, I'm never coming in here again. Because they would dick him around and say, hey, we want you to, you, yeah, you can make this movie. And they'd let him do pre-production and plan it for six months and just can't. <laughs> And But he said, as soon as he said that, Bob Weinstein's response was Halloween. <laughs> and he said, I looked at him and said, great fucking movie. What's your point? Are we playing charades? <laughs> and they're like, we want you to, to do the next Halloween movie. Mustafa Akkad died. His son got the rights. Yep. He came to us. We want you to do Halloween 9 Retribution. And he's like, I'm not fucking making <laughs> Halloween 12 or whatever it is. How about we just do a remake? So it was Rob Zombie's idea. A lot of people don't know that. Yep. And they agreed, but he wanted to do it a very certain way. He wanted to shoot two movies simultaneously, like Harry Potter is how he worded it. <laughs> and he wanted to have Halloween, the early years, essentially, where it followed Michael as a child and his home life and evil shit he did that we didn't know about up to killing his sister, up to getting arrested, all the way to breaking out of Smith's Grove and then credits roll and then his John Carpenter Modern remake would, would be the second film. They told him to fuck himself. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't say that they said it that aggressively, but basically it was a no. But they, the, the, the reboot was a go. Hard no. And he made two movies. He, oh, yeah. he openly says that. He says, if you watch it, it feels like it's two movies glued together. Because it is. Because <laughs> I also saw him on interviews say, studios have told me I can't do shit. I'll just fucking do it anyways. Like, if yeah. I want to make something, I'm going to make it. Right? <laughs> and this is really funny that I'm this excited because I have shit on this movie. <laughs> a lot in the past uh, several years. And and I'm like, I'm fucking into it now. <laughs> I watched so many interviews. I watched an almost five-hour long documentary. I watched this movie three fucking times. I learned some shit that, that cleared up some confusion for me that I'm going to get to in a minute. It, it's just insane. You're having like a Josh moment when he comes around to an artsy movie right right <laughs> but like i said long story short they called him in they'd been dicking him around they offered him halloween in an interview he said i know like reboots and remakes are kind of overdone but they were going to do it anyways and they offered it to me and you don't say fucking no like if they give you frankenstein <laughs> hey do you want to make frankenstein you make frankenstein that's what he said right yeah. like they gave him a big one and they were going to do it anyways so he might as well do it yeah Somebody's going to fuck it up. I'll, I'll at least try. <laughs> right, right, right. But he knew he was in a lose-lose situation because if you do an exact remake, one, why fucking be there? Yeah. And two, people are going to bitch that you made an exact replica of the original movie. Yep. And two, he knew that if he changed shit, people were going to hate him. And he said, <laughs> it's like if you, 
Halloween's a masterpiece. Yeah, there's things I didn't like about it that I felt like needed change, but it's it's a fucking awesome movie, and it's like pissing in the holy grail, is what he said. <laughs> and he knew that no matter what he did, 50% of the people were going to be mad. So he sat down, and he, he thought of some of the iconic scenes that had to be in the movie. Okay. That he kept, which are obvious, which yeah. are, and he wrote around that. You know, he said he gets shit on both ways, but he feels like when he did his own thing was the better parts of the movie than his versions of yeah. John Carpenter scenes. Maybe I'll give that to him. I don't know. Like, he still changed them a little bit, and they fit. But at, at the same point, he also thought too many Easter eggs and throwbacks would be too cheesy in the movie. So he yeah. didn't want any old characters playing new characters. He didn't want any old sets. They actually filmed this movie in the same fucking neighborhood. The other, the original was filmed in in 78. All right. But he didn't want to use the same shit. And he didn't even want to have Daniel Harris in the movie originally. But oh. her fucking audition was that good. Not because he had anything against her. He loved yeah, her. Yeah. Like, and he thought she got fucking wronged in the Halloween franchise. But he he didn't want it to be like cheesy throwbacks to other movies. Yeah, he didn't want it to feel like he was placating the viewer. Right. And, and he saw her audition and he's like, no, she's fucking Annie. Right. <laughs> and, and and he cast her, which is funny because Danielle Patabreaker, Panabreaker, I, I think that's her name. She's done a bunch of movies. She was in Sky High, but most recently she was in the Friday, not most recently, she's on Flash is her most recent thing, the TV show. Okay. But she was the main girl in the Friday the 13th remake. Oh, okay, okay, okay. She auditioned for this movie and got told no. And Danielle Harris auditioned for Friday the 13th and got told no. <laughs> It's kind of funny, right? That's they got, they serendipitous. Got but yeah, her audition just blew him away, and he had to have her in there. And the only other thing that he threw in that was like directly from the other movie is the scene where the girls are in the library talking. Yeah. And Michael's stalking, just like in the original one. Well, I mean, it's not the exact same scenario, but it's that scene. He's standing in front of Laurie Strode's house. Oh, okay, okay. From the 78 movie. Okay. So he wanted the movie to feel like a true crime reenactment of a murder that had happened. Like, right, like when you see those made-for-TV movies yeah. and shit, and it's like, this is how John Wayne Gacy fucking killed everybody. I think he nailed that. It feels like it, and it's dirty and gritty like that. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I can't stand that shit, but I like this. <laughs> Even, like, the newscast and reports and shit. Now, all that, yes, yes, that is so nailed. And the last note on how we got here before I dive into stuff specific to his Halloween film, he wanted John Carpenter's blessing. And he called John Carpenter to tell him he was making the movie and try to get that blessing. But there's two versions of this story of how that call went. <laughs> John Carpenter said that he was very supportive on the phone. And he told Rob that he needed to make this his movie, put his stamp on it, make it Rob Zombie's Halloween, and not give a fuck about how he felt about anything. However, on a like Discovery Channel or Bio Channel or something interview where they're interviewing horror movie directors... Rob Zombie said that when he called John, he was very cold and unreceptive to the whole thing. <laughs> and John Carpenter on his interview, it, it's like at NYU or something, yeah. right? The whole field committee. He's like, and why that piece of shit lied, I'll never know, right? So <laughs> there is footage of John Carpenter calling Rob Zombie a piece of shit. And shortly afterwards, John Carpenter tweeted something. He's like, for everybody worried about the Rob Zombie, John Carpenter feud, we've talked to made up. It's yeah. okay. 
That's so what funny. happened? I don't know. The thing is, though, I love John Carpenter. We covered him recently, and we did say he's like a no shit attitude, yep. very straight forward kind of guy. And we've only seen interviews with him. Imagine talking to the guy on the phone, <laughs> and he's basically like, "Yeah, this is fucking great," but it comes off with, "So you're making a fucking Halloween movie?" You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. that's the only thing I could I could think. And he's smoking a cigarette at the <laughs> yes. same time, and he's got the fucking cigarette voice, right? And that's the only thing I can think of is just like maybe like all. On the phone, he totally didn't come off. It's like when I text. I sound like an <laughs> asshole, and I don't mean to. I'm so bad at texting. It's like that. I don't know. I'm making excuses, but it's just like, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting, but going back to John Carpenter being a take-no-shit guy, he live said, why that piece of shit? Oh, dude, I could totally hear him on the phone and be like, don't fi- don't make my fucking movie. Make your own fucking movie. <laughs> the right, right. He would probably say something like <laughs> verbatim like But that. that was like, yeah, man, take your wings and soar, but it didn't come out that way. Yeah, it's like, man, it fucking it's like he sounded mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, enough of how we got here. So we're going to start off, obviously, with the first one, 2007's Halloween. Written and directed by Rob Zombie. Of course, the original writing credits go to the late Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. But Rob Zombie, this is his treatment of the film. And speaking of treatments, it's funny. When he got the job with the Weinsteins, he said, they were like, oh, we want to see a screenplay. Right? Like, go ahead and get started on it. He's like, I already fucking wrote the thing before they even called me in there. (laughs) Right? Like, just in case I did it. So I had to do a treatment of my script to make it look like I hadn't written it yet. (laughs) I thought that was fucking hilarious. That's so great. But anyways, written and directed by Rob Zombie. I don't think I need to go over his accolades. No, no, no. I think I think we've covered. I, I only covered a couple movies in this episode, but he's got what? Lords of Salem and 31. There's all sorts of shit in there. Rob Zombie, fucking look him up. You guys know who he is if you're here. The cast. I did this in kind of an interesting order. I kept reordering everybody. Oh, God. I'm going to start off with Michael Myers, played by Dag Fairch. I hope I didn't fuck up his name. <laughs> I hadn't seen him in a whole lot. He's kind of a creepy kid, but I think that kind of made him perfect for this role for for the vision Rob Zombie had. Yeah. I remember him from Hancock. He's the fucking bully bitchy kid yelling, and uh, I think Will Smith goes out and like fucking uppercuts him or punts him in the nuts or something out of the neighborhood or something. It's that, kind of funny. That's the one with Will Smith as the alcoholic superhero, right? Yes. It's, okay. It's great. I've only seen it once. I remember liking it. And he was recently in American Horror Story Red Tide. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he was... Uh, you watch Red Tide, right? Yeah. So when they're showing them how you go find crackheads or whatever on Craigslist to kill them, yeah. and they take them, the blonde-headed guy that's walked them to the house. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I think it said Joey or something. Okay. Deborah Myers, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, because you know she's in this fucking movie. <laughs> and she's in all of Rob Zombie's movies. Yep. And she's going to be fucking Lily Munster in the Munsters remake that Rob Zombie's doing. And if he loves monsters more than yeah. Halloween and more than the seventies. So I'm curious how this is going to go. I don't know if it's going to be like a Rob zombie movie, or is he finally going to go a different route and make it like the original? Cause he has said before, I'd like to make a romantic comedy. Like he doesn't want to yeah. just do horror. So what's oh, he going to do here? Well, that's the thing about him is like, he's not just, I mean, he's a hardcore horror fan all the way back, but he's also just a hardcore movie yeah. fan in Western. general. He said he actually likes Westerns more than horror movies. Yeah, he just loves film. Some people shit on her acting occasionally. I haven't seen enough of her work to comment on that. I will say in this movie, she's fucking amazing. <laughs> Even at my lowest point where I hated this movie, she was my favorite part. Like, yep. The loving, caring, upset, and angry mom parts. Yeah, yeah. Fucking break your heart. Yeah, yeah. When she, when she has to have depth, she's awesome. When her character doesn't need to have depth, 
She's very one note. Okay, okay. So the movie that I, because I didn't know who the fuck she was when I saw House of Thousand Corpses the one time I saw it. Uh, and Devil's Rejects I've only seen once and I watched it while doing something else. And I liked it more in House of Thousand Corpses. Okay. I'm going to go back and revisit them. But like, I didn't have a clear memory of her in my head watching this. Gotcha. Any of the times I saw it. And I don't, I, I, I stand by that. I will always stand by that. Even if I change my mind and decide I hate this movie again later down the road. <laughs> she was fucking great. Yes. Lori Strode, played by Scout Taylor Compton. She was a fairy in a bunch of episodes of Charmed. The original Charmed was one of her her first big roles. She played, was it Lita Ford in The Runaways? She's in The Runaways movie as one of the band members. Oh, really? I think she's Lita Ford. Um, she was on Nashville recently. That's a big show that she was on. And a whole lot of other TV, right? So she's okay. not very genre specific. She fits this role. I think. And I'm going to get into that in more depth as we go to the movie because I have a couple hit or miss spots. But for this movie, I think she pulled off what needed to be done here. And I thought that she had the range. Now, obviously, she didn't have the Jamie Lee Curtis screams for fucking save me. But Jamie Lee Curtis is the scream queen. So um, Rob Zombie doesn't use casting directors traditionally. He knows everybody or, or a circle of people. And when he writes roles, he's like, I want. Willem Forsyth do this, right? I want Sid Haig to do that. Like, he knows people that he can rely on to to do a role. Yep. And they'll come in, you know, even if they're busy, right, and do it. But if he has to have a kid or a teenager or something in the movie, he doesn't touch it. <laughs> he, he lets a cast and director do it because, you know, he doesn't know yeah. the best way to go that route. And I'll tell you who applied for this job and the studio was pushing for was Emma Stone. She could have done it, I think. I like Emma Stone, but she was a, she was a nobody. Well, that's the that thing. Point. I really like her, but I don't see her pulling off this character. It depends what all stuff you've you've seen her in, especially by the second one. If she just acted like Cruella, she'd been sad. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Oh, she's fucking crazy. <laughs> but she's not, though, at the same time. It's just the persona of Cruella. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of these Disney remakes, the villains are, like, humanized. And it's like, well, if you yeah. knew their story. so Yeah, when, yeah you'd be like, fuck yeah, protest the hero. Yeah. <laughs> so when she's... Doing her persona, she's fucking crazy. I think she's a great actress. I think she could have done it. But Rob really wanted Scout when he saw her. And especially when you watch the fucking documentary of the making of this film. Because there's an almost five-hour-long documentary of the making of this film. And I watched it. He has one for every movie he's ever made. Except for Halloween 2. And I'll let Josh cover that when he gets there. (laughs) But it's fascinating. I think it's cool that he does that. That he's doing constant B-roll. And you see everything. And when you see her with the cast and stuff, like they they did a really good job. But anyways, I've I've lingered long enough on there. The Shape. I'm not even going to call him Michael Myers because this motherfucker is only playing the shape. Tyler Maine. Tyler fucking Maine. Big Sky, the WCW wrestler. Yep. Sabretooth in the X-Men movies, right? He was in Troy, and he was most recently in Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. That's the really dark kind of superhero show I was talking about that they did not renew because it was too good for them. <laughs> okay. I didn't actually finish it. I didn't go back. My wife kind of got out of it. I have on occasion said... <laughs> Tyler Maine was too fucking big to be Michael Myers. Oh, really? And, and it pissed me off. Like, because like, Michael's always been a small guy, mostly. True. Right? I mean, look up Nick Castle's like 5'10, yeah, I think, or just something. Just like your right? average show. And Tyler Maine is six foot nine. Yeah, he's he's seven foot of fucking shit. And <laughs> Rob Zombie's like, Michael Myers is a brutal motherfucker in all the movies, beating the shit out of everybody. I wanted the body to match. <laughs> and. I think I said on the Halloween franchise episode when I was ranking my shapes, I said this one can't go on the list because we're not doing the remakes. 
Yeah. But Tyler Maine's high up there. He might be under Nick for me. I thought he had the walk, the oh, yeah. head tilts, the stairs. And when you see the behind the scenes with the guy, because like I said, a lot of this, I'm going to gush over this movie just because of the documentary. <laughs> he fucking was in it to win it, man. I hate to use that terrible saying, but he brought his A game on it. And he's the second best shape to me. <laughs> and I literally only ever hated on the guy because he was so big. Because I liked Mikey being small, but in hindsight, like it didn't really fit in this movie, him being just a giant motherfucker. Yeah. Dr. Sam Loomis, this was always going to be a hard job to fill. And they got Malcolm McDowell to do it. Fucking awesome. Like, that was the, as soon as I saw that, when they were making this movie, I'm like, it's going to be a masterpiece. Yeah. Right? And of course, everybody probably knows him. Well, he's done 277 movies. So you've seen him in something. But I'm just going to mention Clockwork Orange and Tank Girl. And those are the first two things that come to my mind. So fuck yeah. Classic actor. <laughs> the best part, he had never seen Halloween. Oh, really? And he purposely didn't go back and watch it because Rob asked him not to because he wanted him to be his own Dr. Loomis. And he was friends with Donald Pleasance in real life. No shit. So he knew Donald Pleasance. He knew his yeah. character. Yeah. Like he, he knew his personality. Yeah. And he knew how he brought things to a movie. And then he was Dr. Loomis. Yep. And didn't turn it into a mockery. Right, right. And that was why he, what Rob Zombie said, okay, first off, Malcolm's an amazing fucking actor, like high caliber actor. He still might have accidentally Donald Pleasanced it, right? So yeah. he didn't want him to watch it. Oh, you haven't seen it? It's fucking great. <laughs> I will say, and I had this in my notes somewhere else. So I'm just going to jump the shark. He ruined a significant amount of takes in both movies because he jokes fucking constantly and he would have everybody laughing so much that they're crying and like their <laughs> makeup would have to be redone. Oh, damn. Like they're doing a scene and you know, a lot of times like the camera's over here and they film actor A and actor B does their lines, but there's no mic on them yeah. or a camera. And then you swap, right? Yeah. When the other person's got the camera and the mic on them, he'd start, you know, just saying random vulgar jokes or obscenities and just make everybody bust out laughing and, and humping things and just doing all this ridiculous stuff. <laughs> and it just fucking ruined takes, but they all had fun doing it. Oh, awesome. And you can see that a lot in the documentary. I'm almost done, guys. There's a lot of people in this movie. I did narrow it down to just a few people. I'll bring up other people very briefly as they show up in the movie. Sheriff Brackett. Played by Brad Dorff. 174 credits himself. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I think, was his first movie. And that's how he got his really big start. Okay. He was in Dune. And he's in Lord of the Rings as Wormtail. But you all know him as Chucky from the fucking Child's Play movies. That's right. Great actor. He's worked with a lot of seasoned actors, too, and done a lot of out-of-horror roles. Big roles. And, and he's just kind of always been able to come back in here. He's one of those actors that doesn't like horror movies and he doesn't watch them. That's just weird to me. He but. watches his movies, but he said he, he didn't think he was going to watch this one. Oh. Because it was so much more graphic than the other horror movies he had done. And he has a scene with Annie. I'll bring it up when we get there. And that was part of the reason why. Because, like, emotions it brought up and stuff. And okay. Annie Brackett, played by Daniel Harris. Do I have to do this again? I, I don't care. It's fucking Daniel Harris. <laughs> I just meant, like, she's been on the show a lot. Uh, don't tell the mom the babysitter's dead. Last Boy Scout. Halloween 4 and 5. Hatchet 2 and 3. Is that enough? That's enough. <laughs> we all knew Daniel Harris. If you're our age, you had a crush on her for a large part of your life. Probably still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> you can look. You just don't touch. Um, last one I'm going to do, Linda, played by Christina Klebe. And I always think of her from the Tales of Halloween pumpkin segment. She's oh, the cop. Yeah. Right? She was, in the, she was in Hellboy. And... Funny thing, when we did the James Gunn episode, and I was talking about him being on the German show, and him and Michael Rooker went to the 
set of a movie that was being made that just kind of randomly got set up by the producer of the show. And James Gunn's like, this is going to be really odd because my ex-girlfriend's in this movie. And we didn't have a good breakup. And then it ends up being like really professional. He lingers on it a bit when they get back in the car. So you can tell he's like real fucked up about it. It was her. That was his ex-girlfriend. So it was funny that 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 came up. Special effects. No names really jumped out to me. (laughs) The effects were good, though. Yeah, I, I I looked, but they're all there's nothing there's nothing really over the top. They're pretty standard gags. Right, right, right. Good set designs. The set designs were fucking awesome. I think. Yeah. Um. The the blood and shit was not over the top, and it was it looked good. Yeah. There's some really fucking violent scenes in this movie. The mask for its vision was good. That that is just it was a good job. But like it it does it wasn't like K and B did it or something, right? Like it wasn't a big name that jumped out. Quick behind the scenes, and then I'm gonna jump in the movie. Thirty eight day shoot. Five days of reshoots. It cost 15 mil to make, and it made 80 mil. That's money. The clown costume that little Mikey wears. They wanted to go to that 90s throwback plastic rubber band mask era that we grew up with, right? They found one on eBay, and they bought it, and it was so old the plastic was brittle, and they weren't going to be able to use it. So they remade that mask by hand, and they didn't use the brittle one at all. Okay. And Rob kind of used the original costume and, like, Got to move some of the colors around and the symbol and stuff. But I thought that was kind of neat that they went to eBay, right? And then yeah. they fucking remade it from scratch. And the Myers mask, it's it's a little different, but it, I mean, it's a lot better than most of the sequels in the yeah. franchise, right? Right. <laughs> it's better than the pink mask with the blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. And and a lot of part of the movie, the mask is damaged, which I think is really neat because we got that again in Halloween 2018, which is unrelated, right? Yeah. And, and most of these notes here... I really couldn't fit them in somewhere, so I went back to the top and added them. Okay. Rob wanted it to appear that Dr. Loomis was always a step behind on helping Michael. <laughs> right? Like, the, he meets that Michael <laughs> in, in the principal's office that day. If he had met him the day before, yep. he probably wouldn't have killed the kid. He probably wouldn't have killed his family. Right? Yep. If he wouldn't have gave up on the day he did... Probably wouldn't escape, right? It, you know, like it just it just constantly you want him to always be step behind. And I thought that showed, just like you said. And the last little note that I want to have before I do the movie is that I covered the director's cut. And we have said on the show, theatrical releases when we cover a movie, director's cut if we're covering a director. But it's actually near impossible to find the theatrical cut without pirating it because Rob Zombie made sure that motherfucker wasn't released first when it went to home video. (laughs) Yep. And there was like an extra 28 minutes. It's 20-something minutes in the director's cut. And some of the the changes are the escape scene has a lot of differences that I'll cover when, when we get there. Loomis is way more sympathetic in the director's cut, right? Yeah. A lot of the dialogue scenes that I don't like in this movie and I'm going to get to weren't in the theatrical cut. They were added <laughs> back in the director's cut. And that might explain my memory of this film. And I don't know if I said this earlier, but I saw the movie open a night in theaters because it came out on August 31st, which yeah. is my birthday. I went on my birthday and saw the yeah. fucking movie. It was like a match made in heaven. The second one actually came out on August 30th, the year it came out. And I was a projectionist and I screened it. And I was not a happy camper when I left that room. (laughs) But I saw the movie in theaters, and I really dig the movie, and I had this good vibe about it. I had some things like, oh, I didn't like this dialogue scene. Oh, I wish Mikey wasn't a fucking gigantic Hulk beast, right? (laughs) But I generally liked the movie. And then I bought it the day it came out on DVD, and I watched it. And I didn't like it as much. And I had a (laughs) lot of problems with it, and I was so fucking confused. And I didn't know until this week that it's because I basically saw – a movie that had just enough edits in it 
to make me not like some of the stuff as much. Yeah. Some of it I've grown to to like more. Um, but that explains why I had that feeling. And with that being said, I would shit on this movie a lot in, in the past years, but I would still like go watch Halloween when it'd get re-released for Halloween in, in October, right? The 70 yeah. Halloween with somebody and find out they hadn't watched the Rob Zombie movie and, and invite them over for beer and pizza and I'd watch it with them. <laughs> like, I mean, you got to see it. Like, you just got to see it. And I even made David watch it recently because he, he always heard me say it, right? And, <laughs> and with me going back and forth, I finally landed on saying that I thought it was an awesome slasher movie. I've been saying this for years. I just didn't like it as a Halloween remake. Yeah. Right? Like, if you changed characters' names, other than me making fun of dialogue scenes, best slasher movie since Scream and Halloween. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've kind of gotten over that a little bit from the research of this episode. So, to see how I got there, let's cover the fucking movie. All right. We open up with an on-screen quote. The darkest souls are not those which choose to exist within the hell of the abyss but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Dr. Samuel Loomis. So it's a fake quote for the movie, but <laughs> you get the gist of it. We then get the title card and hop straight to Haddonfield, Illinois, October 31st. The year is ambiguous. It really is. I can't figure out what decade it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, it is. We see little Mikey in his clown costume, getting his pet rat Elvis out of the cage, and he seems to really like this rat. He's pretty compassionate to it, and he's playing with it. That we see right now. <laughs> we then cut to the kitchen to see Deborah Myers making breakfast and having a white trash argument with her boyfriend, Ronnie. I'm all broken up here, bitch. I can't work. Maybe I'll choke the chicken, purge my snorkel all over them flappy ass tits. Bitch, I will crawl over there and I will skull fuck the shit out of you. And Ronnie is played by William Forsyth, who is in a lot of Rob Zombie movies, <laughs> to my understanding. Yes. But outside of that, because I think he had 150-something credits when I looked, I remember him from Raising Arizona. Yeah. Dick Tracy. He was flat top. Yeah, yeah. And those are the two that jumped out to me. But, like, I know I've seen him in so much other shit, right? Yeah. But big character in, because Devil's Rejects, he's the cop hunting him down or something, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, Funny story. In the script, his arm and shit was broken and in a cast. But if you notice, his leg's also in a cast and he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Because he actually broke his fucking leg before there was time to shoot the movie, so he just added it in the script. Oh, okay. I just want to say, I'm going to hang on this scene for a little bit. Probably longer than I'm going to hang on most of the scenes in the movie, for a few reasons. The first is that this is the scene that I criticize the most in the movie for the dialogue. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's just so fucking, it's it's five minutes of just yelling random profanities back and forth. I had a rough childhood compared to yours, I think. <laughs> I'm going to get to that. Not your childhood, but there's another reason why I didn't like it before I get there. I also didn't like that it provided a backstory for the shape. I still agree with that. Right? Like, my favorite thing about Michael Myers, and, and I think I've said this on here before, I was trying to explain to kids in elementary school Michael Myers when they didn't, they were still watching Disney movies and they don't know what I was talking about, but I was like, he's so fucking evil they can't stop him. Right? Like, and it is That's just it. like, yeah, yeah. He has a traditional real-life serial killer backstory here, okay? And I shit on that a lot. I don't mind it as much now, but it is still not one of my favorite things about this movie. But I'm going to say right now, it was very important to Rob Zombie's vision of this movie. Yeah. And I get that now. But no matter how important for the vision it was, I can't stand the dialogue here. And I cuss like a sailor. And I say some pretty bad shit. <laughs> so it's not like I'm offended. I just feel like it's so over the top that it passes the campy line. 
Um, and it goes into how many dick and fart jokes can we cram in? And I I think that's the point for, okay. for two reasons. Um, well, one, Rob, this is Rob Zombie dialogue, like all the way, like, uh, like okay. one, like you just watch his other movies. You, you'll <laughs> see it. It's like, it's a bit much, but I think it, a, uh, gives more hate to the audience for the surrogate father uh-huh. character. Um, and I think it, it's also like the Hitchcock thing of a device to make you uncomfortable. Okay. Forget that you're mad that you're uncomfortable, but just to even give you tension in the scene because right. of that. And some I'm going to go over through my movie and even a bit into yours if you don't touch it. Okay. There is a lot. Oh, of, I'll touch it. Shit. This is getting <laughs> exciting on the podcast, guys. We're in the same room tonight recording, so woo! <laughs> There's a very big underlying theme that I did not see people mention very much on the internet, and that is that this covers a lot of nature versus nurture throughout both movies. Yeah. And and I'm going to like touch on that as we go, in all seriousness. I will say, though, out of all that fucking crazy, absurd dialogue that's going on, when William Forsyth says, I'm all broken up over here, bitch, <laughs> I lose it every time. <laughs> There's another line that he says coming up that just makes me laugh, too. But from this conversation, we get that Ronnie is lazy and will not work on top of being injured from something that was obviously his fault. Just the way Deborah's. <laughs> I'm just saying the way Deborah's like yes. fucking like you fucked yourself up. Right. And he likes to go to, I think, a strip club a lot, which is probably how they met. Yeah. And. You get his opinion on babies. Crying shit. Crying shit. He's like, yeah, that's all you do is cry and shit. Fuck you, you sit it on my pole right now, bitch. <laughs> that's my other favorite line from this segment, right? And, and with his vision, I get that the scene needed to be here, but it could have been pared down. And in the theatrical version, it is. Uh. And I haven't seen the theatrical version since August 31st of 2007. <laughs> so I couldn't tell you what's in it versus what's not. But I have a feeling that's why that scene didn't jump out as bad to me. Okay. Like I remember like bringing it up, but then when I got the DVD, I was like, I don't remember this being that bad, right? <laughs> and if that's a style, that's a style. So I, yeah. I'm just saying, in my opinion, I think it's too over the top. Gotcha. Anyways, all this yelling upsets the crying baby in the room. And Deborah picks up the baby to try to comfort her, right? Judith comes downstairs, and I didn't write her name down, I'm sorry, but I do want to say, when I figured out she was little Jenny from Forrest Gump, turned me into a bird, made me fly far, far away, blew my fucking mind. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Judith Myers was little Jenny Gump in Forrest Gump. No shit. Yeah, it's fucking crazy, right? <laughs> but she comes down, and we can see that Ronnie's getting a little flirty with her, right? And Deborah sends her upstairs to get her brother, and Ronnie makes a comment about her ass on the way up, which really fucking pisses mom off, right? It should. <laughs> upstairs, Judith's beating on the bathroom door, telling Michael to stop fucking beating off in there and come down, because this is how his family talks. I get it, like the white trash aspect we're going with. Like, that line fits more than the saggy tit stuff, right? Like, I don't even remember exactly what it is, because I just fucking delete it from my brain every time. On the inside of the bathroom, we can see that Michael is cleaning blood off of his hands and off of his knife. And a keen eye would notice that Elvis is not present anymore. Elvis has left the building. Elvis has <laughs> left the building. Oh, my God. I'm so mad at myself for not scripting that. Thank you. 
And at this point, he does, for lack of a better term, an autistic screech to his sister and yells that he's not coming downstairs. Ronnie hears it downstairs, and he starts talking about how fucked up that boy is and then starts doing a lot of gay bashing about him, right? Like how he thinks he's going to grow up. Yeah, the F word ends up being a trigger object. Yeah, We we have to at least say that, unfortunately. (laughs) At this point, you can see Mama Bear, Deborah Myers, is super protective of Michael. And... She gets really pissed. Is this a scene where she like fucking smashes everything and then he smashes? He's like, clean it up, bitch. Yeah. Like somewhere in there that goes down. But Judith and Michael come down and some might be after this. And Michael says that Elvis died and he had to flush him. And Judith breaks into like a random jerk off thing. Like, oh, oh, yeah, he's stroking him to death. And that's another one. like, do we fucking need this in the movie? That's just and funny. Ronnie gets pissed because Michael has his clown mask on and he won't take it off. And they shout that they hate each other. And Ronnie threatens to beat Michael. And we can really see Michael's rage in his face and eyes at this point. And the rage is such a huge contrast between how he acts with his mother. Yeah. And with Boo, which she calls the baby in the room. Very lovey with them. He seems to fucking hate everyone else in the room, right? Yeah. Uh, Very strong here. Very strong contrast. And I know I hung on that one scene for so long, but it has so much in it that I hate. And it's so important to the vision of this movie that it it had to be covered. But from the breakfast scene, we cut to Mikey's day at school. And... We can see he's just tied in the stall. He's a loner. He's a hermit, right? Yep. And the school bully comes in with a friend talking about how he's going to beat somebody's ass that he just beats ass once, right? And he's the star from Spy Kids, all grown up now. And all these kids seeing him in the behind the scenes and, like, the characters they play, it's just so fucking (laughs) mind-blowing. Just because of the way they really act. Yeah. Like kids? Yeah. (laughs) Especially Dave Farage. Like, he's so, like, there's the scene, uh, the creepy scene where he's in the squad car. Yeah. And it like does the weird pan and everybody thinks it's like CGI. Rob just had all the actors stand still. Oh, okay. While they brought the camera in. While they're shooting it, there's a lot of prep to get that scene going. And he's like, Rob, can I play my Nintendo DS while I'm in here? And he's like, sure, kid. And he's like, whoa, not for the 10 seconds I need to film you. And he's like, okay. And he just whips it out. And he's playing Nintendo. And you remember he's a little kid. Yeah. And he, he liked all the cussing scenes because he's not allowed to cuss at home. And the parents are like, you can do it in this movie. And he's fucking, he's so visceral in this movie. But anyways, anyways. <laughs> Spy Kid's talking about whooping some ass. And Mikey, like, tries to fucking bolt out of the stall, right? And he gets stopped by the bully. And the bully confronts him about his mom being a stripper and his sister being a slut. And it gets a lot more vulgar than this about pumping cum out of people's stomachs. And I think I went enough into my problems with this kind of dialogue earlier. But the main thing here is that the bully has an ad for Deborah at the strip club that he pulls out and starts talking about. And Mikey gets really pissed at this, right? Because it's it's his mom. we already seen how defensive they are for each other and how protective each other they are. And he starts yelling, fuck you. And he's trying to fight back to the bigger bully. And the principal hears this outside. And he comes in. And he tells the principal, fuck you, right? <laughs> and cue mama coming to school, right? And she's going off on the principal like it's his fault. Like, you keep calling me fucking down here. And it's because her son's always in trouble, right? Yeah, maybe maybe you just don't know how to run your fucking school. <laughs> and she goes in the office giving this principal an earful. And Michael's just sitting on a bench, right? And he's staring in. And then we see rock star Dr. Sam Loomis coming in with his long, slick back hair and his fucking cool shades. And he just walks in the room like he owns the place and calls the principal by the by the first name. He's like, is this her? And she's like, who the fuck are you? You know? <laughs> and 
He explains that he thinks the son might be deranged as he had a psychiatric evaluation. And she gets really pissed and he's like, just hold on, ma'am. I just, I'm trying to help. And then they're like, let us show you what we found in his backpack and in his locker. Yep. And they pull out a dead cat. They're like, this was in his bag. And she's like, well, he, Michael loves animals. Maybe he just didn't want to see it there on the road. And then she starts looking up like she's thinking. About all the fucking pets that died. And then they break out the photos. And she's like, oh, that's sick because it's a, it's a dead dog that's been beaten to death. And she's thinking he just took photos of a dead animal. And then she starts realizing how many fucking animals are in there. Yeah. And the light bulb clicks. And she's like, oh, fuck. He kills the shit out of animals, doesn't he? <laughs> fuck Elvis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it wasn't an OD. <laughs> but honestly, she seems receptive to talking to Dr. Loomis at this point. After seeing the evidence is what I get, but the camera's panning out and Michael can hear what's going on in that fucking room. And he gets up and he bolts and he grabs his fucking mask and he bolts outside. Right. And they have no clue. He's gone. Fucking institutionalized starts playing in his head while he's running and shit. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and we can see the bully come walking out, bitching to his friend that he's bitching to earlier about if he gets suspended one more fucking time, he's expelled and he's going to get that fucking Myers kid's ass. He's just got to catch him on the weekends. He can't get in trouble at school for it. Right. <laughs> He doesn't realize that the shape is stalking him this whole time, right? And him and his buddy part ways, and he decides to walk home through the woods alone. So he thinks. And then he gets surprised kneecapped by a fucking baseball bat as Mikey jumps up from behind a tree. And Mikey viciously beats this fucking kid to death with his clown mask on. And it's a very brutal scene. There's pleas of help from the kid where you feel bad for him. There's fucking blood everywhere. The beating is so vicious. The camera is obviously handheld and purposefully shaky here. Yep. The B-roll footage of the sky and the trees, it, it's just all very fucking dark. And yep. it, it's it's hard to watch. Like yeah, It's damn. a very vicious beating. This is where I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> and then Mikey stops for a second, and the kid's still crying for help. And I'm going to, just like the other Halloween movies, he's going to be Michael. He's going to be Myers. He's going to be Mikey, which is funny because he's a kidness. I can call him Mikey more. He's going to be the shape. The boogeyman, I call him everything here. We run the gambit. But the important thing is little Mikey pulls the strip club ad out of the kid and looks at it with his mask off and then gets real fucking pissed and puts the mask back on and beats the shit out of the kid until he's dead and he leaves him in the woods. But that night, Ronnie and a masked Michael Myers are watching the original The Thing together while Ronnie's teasing Michael for killing animals. Make you feel like a real badass motherfucker killer, huh? Yeah, and this is like the original, original of the thing, like the thing from another planet. Yeah, that's the same one that they're watching in the 78 Halloween. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a throwback yeah. there. Yeah. But Michael's ignoring him and continues to ignore Ronnie and then just yells for Judith to take him out trick-or-treating. And we can see that mom's heading off for work and she lets him know that she should ground him. But it's Halloween. He can have fun tonight. She tells him to have fun tonight, but shit's going to change tomorrow, she says. That's his key right there. Oh. Live it up tonight. That's what she says. Shit's going to change tomorrow, so make sure you live it up tonight. They have a cute little moment just to show their bond, and Deborah, Ronnie, and Judith get into it a little bit here, and... At all, I don't remember the, all the dialogue, but when he says, bitch, if you don't think I'm keeping a mental fucking note here, <laughs> like when Ronnie <laughs> says that, that's another line where I lose it, right? Because oh. he's handicapped. He can't get out of the chair. Um, but anyways, Deb heads out to go to work as Judith's boyfriend shows up, and they head upstairs, and they basically tell Michael to fuck off and go trick-or-treat by himself because they got shit to do. But at this point in the film, we get the best use of love hurts in the history of cinema. 
As the song kicks in and we can see Michael sitting on the curb alone and he's sad and it's intercut with Sherry Moon Zombie dancing at the strip club on the pole, which she said it was like really hard for her to film. Like she hadn't really ever done that. She didn't know what she was going to do. It was kind of uncomfortable because she doesn't dance, you know? (laughs) I thought it was kind of interesting. But the way it's edited and cut, like you, you fucking get the vibe. I like it. Oh, yeah. But we see Michael put his mask back on and heads back in the house. We can see Judith and Kmart Burt McCracken fooling around upstairs, and we find out that Ronnie is for sure not her father because her daddy's in heaven, and her boyfriend shows her his sweet Halloween mask, which is the mask, right? Yep. And he wants to do it with it on, and she's not down. (laughs) We see Michael come in the house, and at this point, Ronnie is passed out drunk in the recliner. And Michael goes into the kitchen and eats a bunch of candy and then does what any kid high on sugar does. Duct tape a step down to the recliner and slit his fucking throat. Exactly. Wait, what? (laughs) Just kidding. But this is another really well shot and fucked up scene. William Forsyth did tell Rob, I don't want that fucking kid near me with a knife. You got to get a stunt double or somebody to do it. What? Like, he just didn't. It's just, you know, like he was 10. I don't want him putting a knife next to my throat because a lot of times they're using real knives that are dulled, right? And he just didn't want to get stabbed. That's all. From an accident. He didn't think the kid would hurt him for real. Yeah. But Michael, of course, does all this with the clown mask on. And we get a bit of the Halloween theme with uh, a shape walk. Like when he walks in the room, he's walking on a shape. The kid did it pretty good. And he really relishes in the moment when he killed Ronnie. (laughs) Upstairs, we can see the young lovers finishing up. And, uh... Bert from the used heads downstairs <laughs> to make a sandwich while Judith puts her headphones on to rock out. And they're like wired. You can tell, like, we don't know what decade we're in right now. Right. Yeah. And Michael stalks behind the guy down the hall doing the shape walk. And it's doing the dun, dun, dun. dun. It, 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 it fits. Some people get mad that they did it when he was the kid, but it fits. The weird thing's the giant fucking mask on the little kid body, which Rob Zombie's like, that's some creepy fucking shit on the bottom of the scenes. Like, I don't like big mask on kids. It, since you brought it up, fuck it. I was going to wait. But when it does get to that, I'll agree with the creepy factor if we saw it less. You see, okay. it, you see it too long and then it gets comical yeah. to me. But what's not comical is the fucking baseball bat beating this kid gives Burt McCracken. Oh, yeah. Straight into a seizure. Like, it's, oh, dude, it's fucking brutal. He does one big hit and you just got a bleeding out twitching kid. Like, he's already got brain damage from the first hit. And he beats the fuck out of him. And this is the second really uncomfortable scene in the movie. And I don't know. He, he's good at making fucking, I mean, they feel like snuff films. Yeah. Yeah. This, this kill, like, all of them felt like a snuff film so far. And that he was going for like a, this is a real true crime kind of vibe. Anyways, Michael sneaks upstairs with the shape mask on and he starts to awkwardly rub his sister's leg a bit incestually. Oh yeah. In my opinion. And Judith realizes it's not her boyfriend. Like she's digging it at first and she realizes it's Michael. And it's to give you that Michael line yep. from, from when he came in in the original one. And we're honestly 30 minutes into the movie, 45 <laughs> yeah. minutes into the movie. At this <laughs> we're point. I just want to say like, this is the first three minutes of, of the OG, but she gets pissed and she starts to slap him over and over again. And it's a stunt person in the mask. And they're honestly, it looked like a kid, just older than him. Right. So it's like a either really young looking stunt person or like a teenager that's a stunt person. And, and they wanted Judith to slap. Him. Okay. And the, just do it. It's not going to hurt me. 
And she like, like you know, I said all the kids like real innocent on the behind the scenes, and she's like just baby doing it, and you gotta slap me. Right? <laughs> and, and eventually she's like, whop. Those are real slaps on the face. Nice. But she starts to beat the shit out of him on the head, yelling Michael, and he stabs her in the gut to stop her. He's not a fan of this, and for some reason he lets her out of the room. Yeah. Maybe he likes the hunt. I don't know. I mean, I'm being serious. And she tries to make it down the hall, and it's a pretty dramatic scene. And when Rob's directing it, he's like, don't scream. It makes it cheesy and fake. Just whimper, cry, limp, try to escape. And um, he's behind her, and this is dunk. Done it, and he's stalking it. Really fits because I mean the kid, the kid did a, a lot better than the Wilbur walk. Let's Thank just say. you. <laughs> and uh, he brutally slashes and stabs his sister to death, and it's it's fucked up. All of it's fucked up. A blood covered Michael goes downstairs to check on his baby sister Boo, and grabs her out of the crib, takes her out on the stoop, and sits down and waits until Deborah comes home from work, and we can hear police sirens in the background. So somebody must have called the cops. And she finds the two of them sitting on the porch with blood on them, and she knows something's wrong. And yeah. he will not talk, much like the original Michael Avery Myers from the OG. And the police sirens start to come in louder. We cut to monochrome footage of the bodies being brought out as reporters explaining everything that we just saw. In great detail. In great detail. <laughs> and this is the scene. I was talking about Michael st- sitting in the back of the car, and he just creepily stares at the camera, and Rob got everybody to freeze, so it looked like a freeze frame as the crane cam came in. It's pretty cool. Okay. I don't know what the fuck he's staring at, because the house and everything's up. He's staring at us. <laughs> but that's the Nintendo DS scene that I told earlier. Okay. Then we cut to 11 months later. We get some exposition from a, a different reporter that Michael was brought to Smith's Grove Sanitarium after a lengthy and expensive trial and that Dr. Samuel Loomis will be taking care of him. We can see that Loomis originally starts caring about Michael. And I actually wrote that part the first time I watched it recently. Because okay. for some reason, I always go back to that he doesn't give a shit about him, which is just the theatrical version. There's a lot. It's like eight minutes of Dr. Loomis extra in the director's cut. But you can really see that he he cares about him because he does not give a fuck at some point in the movie. And he wants to help him. And we can see from his interviews that Michael doesn't remember killing anyone or at least says he doesn't remember it, right? Yeah. And he appears really innocent like a kid again. And we can see that his mom visits him regularly. And on one of her visits, he asks her if he can go home. And he wants to know how the family's doing, right? And she's like heartbroken when he says that. See, when I when when he says that, I think he really doesn't like there's two different personalities or like a part of his brain he's not accessing. I really think he doesn't remember what happened. Or he's just that fucking evil and crazy. The blackest eyes, man. <laughs> I don't know. But one night at the sanitarium, we see Danny Trejo as a orderly or janitor or something. And everybody should know him. Desperado, Machete from Dust Till Dawn. Probably a shit ton of Rob Zombie movies because everybody is, right? <laughs> Great actor. I love the guy. But he's mopping up the floor and he's talking to a very sad, still child Michael, about hanging in there. Like, just hang in there, man, and think about what's beyond the walls and not being in the walls and what you can do when you can get out. So there's the seed planted right there. Yep. And you get a bit of bonding between the two of them to set you up for later. Foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Throughout the interviews, we can see these masks that Michael is making. Okay. And he starts talking less and less in the interviews and wearing the mask more and more. And he only takes them off for his mother to visit when she asks, right? And Rob Zombie wanted the interview scenes to look real because he says two people just sitting there talking to interviewing each other looks like shit in movies all the time <laughs> and TV shows and procedurals. And he wanted it to look real and they had to fucking improv. 
Oh, okay. And like him saying, why do you talk so funny and stuff like that? And he laughs and says, why do I talk? He didn't know what to say back for a second, <laughs> but he literally made shit up. And on one of the scenes in the dock, you can see Rob Zombie explaining, yeah, but black's the absence of color. And he starts explaining the color spectrum and Malcolm goes, that's good. I'm going to use that. And then when they say action, Malcolm did his own version of that. Okay. But it was Rob explaining, you know, I'm sure it didn't show what he asked Rob, but he probably said, was the mask black or was the color black? And he just kind of went from there. Okay. But I thought that was really neat that it was all improv for the interview scenes. There's something that's bothered me about those scenes where the kid playing Michael Myers, like his body language feels different. And this makes more sense now that if they were improv (laughs) and that it was a little bit of nerves. Right, right. Okay. Malcolm McDowell, that's probably a hard person. Like that kid. He's lucky he's 10 and didn't know who he was. <laughs> right? That's probably a harder know, right? person to improv with. <laughs> I mean, he might as well be Sir Malcolm McDowell at this point. <laughs> but Michael becomes more and more distant as these interviews progress. And he seems to be having a breakdown, like screaming, fuck you, and stuff like that. So I want to go home. And he's really leaning on the one to go home. And all these scenes are intercut with footage of Dr. Loomis doing, like, narration over the Super 8 footage of Michael and the Mask. And he says here he's becoming more and more distant, and he's making all these primitive primal masks, and they're his sanctuary, right, that he's retreating into. And eventually Loomis tells Michael that he's not going to get to go home because he hurt a bunch of people, right? Like, because he just fucking telling them straight. And Michael completely shuts down at this point, even so far as he won't take his mask off for his mom anymore. And one of Loomis's notes says that the humanity is gone and he is a shape of a human being at this point. And that scene and the setting outside, like, oh, they, I got special permission to go outside today, were reshoots. Like, okay. like after Rob edited the movie, he felt like he needed more and he got to throw the shape in there. I'm glad he did that. Yeah. Deborah comes for another visit and she sits down to eat with Loomis and Michael. And for some reason in my head, I was thinking it was like Thanksgiving or something. Cause it does kind of look like it's going through the holidays, but I think they're just sitting there eating. Okay. And she brought Michael a picture of him holding boo to put in his room. Right. And he won't talk. He won't respond. He won't take the photo. So she's like, fuck it. I guess I'll see you next week. Like she's had it. And Loomis is like, let me walk you to your car. Cause obviously he wants to talk to her without him around, even though it should be pretty easy. Cause Michael's locked up and she's not. But anyways, yeah, he leaves a nurse to watch Michael and she looks at the picture and in the director's cut makes a snide comment. She doesn't in the theatrical cut. Yep. I actually like the theatrical version better here. And she turns her back to him while she's reading the newspaper and he grabs a fork and we cut between Loomis and Deborah talking and security footage of little Michael murdering the fuck out of this nurse with a fork. And you get this really unnerving loud siren that kicks in and Deborah and Loomis rush in and it's a shot in slow-mo of Michael kicking and screaming and fighting as the orderlies grab him and his mom's screaming. It almost looks like the sirens are coming from her, her screams of what the fuck. Yep. And the only sound we can hear while this is going on is the goddamn siren. You can't hear them yelling. It's fucking unnerving. It's great. We then cut to Deborah at home on the couch watching family videos of her and Michael. And she's crying. And she grabs a pistol and the camera cuts away from here and we hear a loud fucking pop. And her sobbing stops and booze begins. It's a really powerful scene. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. We time skip 15 years here, okay? 
And we see Danny Trejo walking a racist prick through the sanitarium <laughs> on his first day. And Danny tells the racist to shut the fuck up and to do what he says because he only has three months left before he's retiring, right? I'm getting too old for this shit. Oh. You leave the weapons in. <laughs> they go into Michael's room. And we can see that Michael's much, much bigger now. And I didn't say this earlier. Originally, Rob wanted Sherry to play Linda. Oh, really? But Sherry's actually pretty tall. Yeah. And he wanted Tyler. Like, he knew he wanted Tyler Maine to be uh, Michael Myers. And I should have said this earlier. Like, he called the agent or Tyler. I don't know. He's like, look, I want you in the Halloween movie. I'm making it. He's like, look, Rob, I'm not going to let you just fucking kill me in one of your movies. I don't don't, want to be in it. He's like, no, no, I want you to be Michael Myers. He's like, oh, damn, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Tyler Maine's such a big motherfucker. He's like, mom needs to be big for this to make sense. Yeah. So he moved her from Linda. And I mean, I'm going to be honest here. There's a little bit of an age gap. Obviously, all the girls are older than they're supposed to be. Actually, Lori's only 17. She turned 18 while they were making the movie. Okay. But that's, that's a lot like the original. Yep. Jamie Lee Curtis was 17 or 18. The other girls were 25. Yeah. Right, right. And that's how this one was. But anyways, he is significantly larger. <laughs> and the walls are covered in homemade masks. I mean, fucking hundreds of them. Yeah. And I never caught this until last week. They start to slowly turn into the shapes mask. And what I never caught until my final viewing is over his table where he's making his new mask is a giant fucking mural of the shape mask and a guy in a jumpsuit. Oh, okay. I have not caught that. So he's been thinking about that mask. He's been dreaming about that mask. I never caught that until this week. Yeah. Okay. So he's been, yeah. Okay. Specifically that mask. Right. And that makes something later make a little bit more sense. But while they're in the room, Danny's being very kind to Michael. He's apologizing for having to put handcuffs on Michael. And the prick continues to be a prick. God damn, I wouldn't want to bum the freak out. The guy continues to bitch, and he starts to fuck with Michael's mask. And he's like, I'm going to be a fucking shitstorm when I come in here. I'm going to fuck all your shit up. I don't remember what he says, but it's something <laughs> like that. And Danny says, look, I've known him for 20 years, and I've taken care of him, and he likes his shit, so leave his fucking shit alone. All right? And yep. I think that's where he's like, I'm going to be a fucking storm or whatever. He's one of them loud fuckers that gets his ass beat. That's yeah. what he is. <laughs> <laughs> we see that... Loomis is still Michael's doctor, right? That's why they were cuffing him. They are taking him to see his doctor. And he looks like Loomis now. Yeah. From the OG movie. He doesn't look like he's in the Beatles anymore. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look like a fucking coked out music producer. <laughs> yeah. And he explains to Michael that they've been together a long time. Longer than all of his marriages. <laughs> and in a strange way, Michael's his best friend. Right? It's the person he's the closest to and known the longest in his life. But their time here has come to an end because there's nothing more he can do for him. Right? Yep. And in the director's cut, Loomis seems really fucking upset about it. And he pats Michael, tells him to take care. And even he's walking backwards out of the sanitarium and he pauses like he's going to run back in there. In the theatrical cut, he says, there's nothing more I can do for you. And it cuts to him giving his book sale speech. What a dick. <laughs> right. So I, I do like in the director's cut that he's more sympathetic in here. Yeah. But he simply says that he wanted to help Michael, but he just couldn't. We cut to a college where Loomis is given a speech about studying Michael Myers and about his new book he just published called The Devil's Eyes, The Story of Michael Myers. And here we get the bit about the blackest eyes, right? I don't 
it's a little reworded, I think, but it's it's the gist of it, right? Yeah. And the absence of light within him is is a lot like the absence of color in Michael's mask, right? Like he gives the same speech about the absence of light in Michael that he gave Michael about the absence of color in black, which is interesting because that means this had to have been added like into the script because of the the improv, right? Yep. And he goes on to say that Michael was made from the perfect storm of both interior in exterior factors, making him a psychopath that knows no bounds, right? That night, we can see the prick come in off-duty but drunk to see his cousin, who apparently also works there because they like to hire redneck racist pricks here. And we find out there's a new girl on the block, and they're going to rape her. And you get the feeling this is not the first time They've done this. Yep. And if, if if you've, sorry to jump in here, and I'm really willing to bet that there's more of this in the director's cut than the theatrical version. I've only seen the director's cut. Oh, oh, just hold on, cousin. I got you. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I don't, I don't think I like being referred to as cousin right now. <laughs> <laughs> because they only refer to each other as cousin. I had to do it right there. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll go, go but, on. I'll hold my, you, I'll hold my piece. Hold your moment. We're going to hit it right here. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say it right now. I have never gone this in depth on a single movie we've ever covered on the show. And it's fucking Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like, my life has changed, okay? Okay, okay, continue. But the prick thinks he has this just fucking genius plan. And he's got to let his cousin know about his plan. Got an idea. I got me a fucking bona fide sure shit idea. His genius fucking plan is to take their rape victim into the giant serial killer's room next door and rape her in his bed and try to get him to jump in. What's that joke about the bad idea sign? There's a bad idea (laughs) sign right here. They're just dumb. (laughs) They go in the room and they start to rape her and it is very uncomfortable and they're trying to get Michael to join in. He's just making his fucking mask, right? And at some point, one of them starts to fuck with his mask, and he gets pissed, and he stands up, and he starts fucking viciously slamming them into the walls, killing them. And he does a lot of kills like that in this movie. And actually, Halloween Kills did it, too. Yeah. Just a lot of just fucking slamming meat into bricks. (laughs) But he kills the shit out of them, and he does an excellent shape head tilt here. And he does all this with basically a paper... Those cheap, shitty paper plates yeah. at a picnic, but he drew a jack-o'-lantern on it. It's fucking adorable. <laughs> this scene is not in the theatrical cut of this movie. Oh. At all. Ah, okay. This was, <laughs> I think, a reshoot, and it's in the director's cut. This is a scene I don't like. Yeah. One, because I just don't like rape. Yeah. And at all. Like, obviously not in real life, but in movies, I just... just don't do it, right? And then Michael doesn't give a shit. She's getting raped. They fucked with his mask. Yeah, exactly. Right, right? In the original version... There's a group of guards getting ready to escort his big ass, led by Bill Mosley. He's one of the security guards. Okay. And I, I don't know if he's going to trial or they're moving him, but they have to cuff him and escort him. And they get in, like, just past the man trap door. Okay. And he fucking wholesale ass beats the shit out of all of them. And they're trying to beat him. Like, uh, when you see the fighter, the fight choreographer on the behind the scenes, try to choreograph the scene because they spent a lot of days in the scene. He, like, Rob's like, less Billy Club. 
Like less Billy, because he had he had Michael hitting him with the Billy Club. Shit, he's like, it looks like a fucking toothpick in Tyler's hand. I just want to fucking slug this guy, slam Bill's head into the fucking wall, rip her esophagus out, and it's it's a fucking brutal fight scene and a bloodbath. And then you see him kill the guards and the lady at the desk, and he just walks out the fucking front door. Okay, so he massacres like nine fucking people right there in the theatrical version. Far, far superior to the fucking rape scene right here. So Bill, the the whole thing's that whole thing's cut it's in the not director's in the cut. Movie. So that explains why I can never fucking spot Bill Mosley in this goddamn movie. Right, right. Because he's a prison guard <laughs> that got killed by Michael. All right. And you know, I'm gonna go back and forth on this later, like a lot with Love and Rob Zombie's work, and then sometimes not. Like, I don't know what obviously, even if he I don't think he had shot the rape part first. But even okay. if he did, the studio's probably like, fuck you, no, it's not going in. Yeah. Right? And they did it on the director's cut. But the scene was good in the theatrical cut. And it was vicious. Actually, it, I feel like David Gordon Green might have seen the theatrical cut of this movie. <laughs> he owns a copy. But. Well, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, I don't like the rape scene in the director's mm. cut. And I, from being such a big fan of his other movies, I really think that the only reason it's there is to make you uncomfortable, make tension in like the twist in the knife worst way that they can to make you make your stomach turn, make you really fucking three from not three from hell. Three from hell was terrible. Um, (laughs) uh, House of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects. Like there's so much fucking last house on the left, fucking real world violent shit that like turns. That's the shit that turns my stomach in movies. And I really think that's what he was going for. I was going to save this for the end, but you just fucking segued me. So sorry, guys. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get back on the fucking rails in a minute. If Rob Zombie got to remake Last House on the Left or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, fucking knock it out the park more than he did here. You see what I'm saying? Those are his style more, I think. Texas Chainsaw would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Last House on the Left, I may not be able to handle watching. <laughs> I can't watch Wes Craven's version, okay? So I definitely could watch his version. Oh, shit. I'm just saying, those seem to be his style to me. Well, that's why I've said said before on here. It's like, if Rob Zombie goes Rob Zombie, like you're going to the 70s. There's no <laughs> fucking way around it. Because, I mean, when Leatherface is like hanging people on hooks and shit, it's, it's hard to watch. It's like a snuff film. Yeah. Like these kill scenes. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, anyways, back to the movie. You cut, in this version, straight to Danny Trejo coming in for a shift, and he can't find anybody. It's because Michael murdered them all. We didn't get to see any of that. <laughs> we do see one woman, like, dead. It's the receptionist, like, crying, can't talk, her throat's crushed, hiding on the counter or whatever. Duh. You know, she just fucked up. He eventually stumbles on the dead security guard, which is Big Mike, the manager from the TV show Chuck. But it was a stunt double that got fucked up in the fight scene. But you don't get to see the uh, fight scene. Like, it was okay. fucking throw, like, he's like, don't worry, Tyler, just throw me through the glass. It's not going to hurt. <laughs> just fucking throw me. And um, I mean, he, he stumbles across the body, right? And it's all, it's a rough cut, it feels like. And okay. it's because we needed that scene. We didn't need yeah. the rape. So I really fucking hate on this scene. Actually, this scene's obviously worse to me than the breakfast scene. Gotcha. Anyways, I've ranted enough. <laughs> There's a lot more ranting to come. Oh, Lord. But he's startled by Mikey, who walks up behind him. He's all shit. You know, he's a, he's a giant beast of a man. And he's like, hey, Mikey, don't do anything. We'll both regret. Right. Yep. And he's trying to talk him down. He's like, it's dangerous out here. I really need to get you back to your room. Because there's a very important thing Rob Zombie wanted to convey in this film. 
Michael Myers' brain has not passed age 10. Okay. He stopped at age 10 progressing. So he is a 10-year-old little boy that's a psychopath in Tyler Maine's body. And Danny Trejo is now Elvis. Oh, or yeah. is about to be Elvis. <laughs> and he's like, Mikey, come on, I gotta get to your room. It's not safe out here. Let me put these cuffs on you. So he takes the cuffs off the guard and he's shaking. Like yeah. Danny's scared. It's the only time I've ever seen Danny Trejo scared. And he purposely made Danny the orderly because Danny always plays a badass. Yeah. And he wanted him to play the nice old guy that's his buddy. And and Mikey just sticks his hands up, like, yeah, sure, boss, cuff me. And he's shaking going in there. And Mikey grabs his fucking wrist, beats the shit out of him, drowns him, and smashes his head with a fucking TV. Couple things about this scene. <laughs> Wasn't in the movie originally. It's a reshoot. Ah. When Rob edited it and he watched it, he's like, you know what would really make fucking Michael evil? Is if he killed his only fucking friend he had left in the world. His mom left him. Sam left him. Fuck you, buddy. You're dead now. Right? Yep. Just to do that. The funny part... If you notice, Tyler takes the TV off the rack and then it just cuts to black. And then you see Danny Trejo. They only had one of those TVs and Tyler picked it up and he, oh, fuck. And he dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> so it cuts to black because he dropped the TV and broke oh, it. Oh, nice. Thought it was kind of funny. No, it's it's really fucking powerful. And it's it's like the, the Robert Rodriguez joke that, yeah, I killed the kid. I killed the dog. Right. Anything can happen. And that's what this is. You've reached the point now where it's like it doesn't matter. There is no tie. There's no ties to humanity left if he's just going to do this to his only buddy. And I didn't write it in here the whole time. Danny's like, I was always good to you, Mikey. It's something like that. Right. Yeah. And he's just fucking killing him. Like, oh, it's fucking heartbreaking, man. And it honestly, it is. And. I didn't like the scene in this movie. This is one of those scenes in the movie, and I had a couple of these during Halloween Kills where I'm like, I don't know if I want to be in the shape for Halloween this year. <laughs> right? Because he went from being like the rock star slasher to like, he's fucking evil, bro. I don't know if I can do this. And the, Rob pulls that off in this movie a lot. There's yeah. a lot of scenes. But like when you see him kill, you're like, he does not give a fuck yep. at this point. Mission accomplished, Rob. I'm giving you a thumbs up you can't see. <laughs> Hopefully you're listening, though. But we cut to Clint Howard with a terrible fucking wig on. and. He's at Smith's Grove, and there are fucking cops everywhere, and he calls and wakes up Dr. Loomis. This is also reshoots. Okay. And he lets him know that Michael escaped. We then cut to a truck stop as Joe Grizzly pulls up in his truck to get it washed while he goes and takes a massive dump. Joe who? Let me introduce myself. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. This is fucking awesome. I love all this. I love his fucking wig. I love the behind the scenes of him getting fitted for his wig and talking about how good he looks on the behind the scenes. And then that's in the movie in a minute, right? And um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's Ken Foray, famous for Dawn of the Dead primarily, and then being in Rob Zombie movies. Yeah. He just, he's one of those like gentle giant looking guys to me. Something I want to throw in here really quick because I don't know where else I would put it. There was a guy, they call him a Make-A-Wish kid, but he's 20-something, he looks like. Okay. And he's a huge Rob Zombie fan, and he's a huge Halloween fan. So he heard Rob Zombie was making Halloween. He used his Make-A-Wish. <laughs> I want to be on set. And during the documentary, you can see him sitting next to Rob. He's got his own chair and stuff, right? And they interview him. He's like, this is awesome. You know, <laughs> Rob put him in the movie. He's the guy with the long hair washing the trucks off. No shit. Yeah, he's like, you know what? You're here. Fucking go, go to the makeup. So how old can you be and still be considered a Make-A-Wish kid? <laughs> we could look up the rules. <laughs> I don't know if there's rules, but. Okay. That's fucking awesome that yeah. not only did he get to hang out, but he actually got put in the fucking movie. Right, right, right. We've never had a Make-A-Wish in a movie on this show before. No, not knowingly. <laughs> <laughs> had to do it. 
But anyways, Joe Grizzly is walking across the truck stop, and Michael is in the background stalking him to a fucking Rush soundtrack. <laughs> and Tyler says it's like one of the scenes where he gets the most pumped when he's watching the movie when you just fucking hear Rush kick in and he starts walking, right? And it's it's like the love hurts. It's out of place and perfect at the same time. Yeah. And he stalks Joe Grizzly all the way to the shitter where he's looking at a spank mag with a naughty, naughty girl. And <laughs> he sees Michael's nasty ass feet step up under the stall door and Michael knocks and uh, he's like, you might want to leave this beast in peace while I pass this burrito. And he starts talking about what he ate. He's going <laughs> to shit it out. But Michael apparently doesn't care about the smell because you know it's got to be bad in there. And he just keeps beating on the door. And Joe gives him the, what we have here is a failure to communicate speech, right? And then he pulls out his big-ass knife and opens the door to threaten Michael. And they get into a very vicious battle where these two giants clash. And Michael slams Joe into the stall so much that they fucking bow and break the wall, right? Uh Uh-huh. They built the bathroom in one of the other set, like in the school, right? Okay. And they were they they were making some fake stalls to bring in, but they put a real stall in there. They fucking broke the real stall. And they were getting ready to do the scene, and Rob's like, I want you guys to bring it. And they were doing it, and Ken was fucking fighting hard on Tyler. And he's in those flip-flops in the mud slipping. So he's like, he stopped the scene. He's like, I need some stick'em spray. And he got him to fucking <laughs> spray the bottom of his flip-flops so he could lock his feet in. And he's like, we just beat the fuck out of each other in there. Nice. And Ken's like, he got like a hematoba in his arm from it and shit. Oh, wow. But, yeah, they, he just slammed the fuck out of him in that wall until they broke it. He's like, they made fake stalls, but we just broke the real one. Yeah, that breaking real shit's going to be a reoccurring theme tonight. <laughs> Anyways, it's just, they're both big guys, and they beat the fuck out of each other for this scene. You could you can see it. <laughs> they brought their A game. <laughs> but Michael kills him, and he now has a jumpsuit. And I saw Rob in an interview say he always hated how clean Michael's jumpsuit was in the original one. Yeah. Because he knows mechanics, and their shit's always dirty. Yeah, right, like it's got oil and grease on it. Their shit, shit's right? clean. They're fucking amateur. So he made sure it was dirty. Now, it probably smells like shitty burrito. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, he found a giant man that wore the same size fucking yeah. cart hard as him. But anyways, Michael has his mechanics jumpsuit now. And we cut to Halloween Day in Haddonfield with a little title card. And we get a very different approach to a family's home life at breakfast here than we saw earlier in the film. We're at the Strode residence, and we can see that the Strodes are basically the Cleavers. Oh, and the mom is D fucking Wallace. Yes. So mom from E.T., mom from Critters. She's in the original Howling. So much more. I don't think I have to go on. No, She's no. She's D fucking Wallace. Exactly. Lori seems like a normal teen here, other than an oddly placed fucking a bagel fingering <laughs> joke she makes to her mom that... Her mom gets mad about, right? Because that's not how they are in this house. And I'm going to be really mixed on this right here. One, I didn't like the scene because Lori to me is the most innocent of all final girls. Yeah, she too, is too the, wholesome for that shit. She is the, yes, she is the antithesis of Michael's evil is what I feel like John and Deborah were trying to portray, right? Yeah. And this really takes away from that. However, she doesn't finger bang the bagel in the theatrical cut, which is why I really liked her as Lori Strode when I got uh, home that night. That's a director's cut scene. And there's a couple other scenes with her, like where it just doesn't really fit. They weren't in the theatrical scene. See, I just thought that was some more playful, like mother daughter bonding thing to kind of, kind of humanize the relationship. Here's where the mixed feelings come in. Okay. Theme I said, I was going to bring up regularly nature 
versus nurture. Ah, touche. What family did she come from? What house did she grow up in? How did their meals go at home? Yeah. Right? Anyways, I just like my innocent Lori Strode. Okay. We'll go from there. She does that in this movie a lot, too. She really is a girl next door in this movie. Yeah. Anyways, dad sends her to drop off some papers in the mail slot at the old Myers house, much like dropping the keys off in the original. And I'm going to say it from this point on, this is roughly the same movie John Carpenter made. Yeah. Until the third act. Yeah. She bumps into Tommy Wallace and I was like, God, he looks familiar. God, he looks familiar. And it fucking hit me. It's Skylar Gazondo. He's the boy from Santa Clarita diet. Yep. Smaller. <laughs> Anyways, he's talking to her about how she's babysitting her tonight. And you can tell they're, they know each other well. She's the regular babysitter, right? Yeah. And we cut to inside the house of Michael Myers. We see Michael ripping the floorboards out to pull the mask where he hit it under the floorboards and the knife. That shit would be way rotted worse than that. Latex don't last that long. Yeah. But it's fucked up a little bit. And it's kind of neat because that's the route we went in 2018 as well. Yeah. But he gets his mask and his knife and the Halloween theme cues when he puts his fucking mask on, right? And Tommy and Lori show up at the house and Tommy gives the host of the Boogeyman's house speech, right? That we're all familiar with. Yep. And she drops the mail off and... And the shape's stalking her through the window. And she's acting like he fucking took her. Like, oh, God, the boogie man's got me. And she's fucking with Tommy, and they walk off. And in the director's cut, he picks up the mail and sniffs it. Like he can get his yeah. sister sent. Not in the theatrical cut. He's not a panty sniffer in the theatrical cut. I don't know. He's part bloodhound, man. <laughs> I don't know how he can tell it's boo from smelling the mail. I don't know. Yeah. Back when he remembered smelling boo, all boo smelled like was fucking sour milk, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and shit. <laughs> yeah. But we cut to school, and we can see Lori, Linda, and Annie talking in the library about their plans for the night and how Annie is going to have her boyfriend Paul come over while she has Lori sneak watch Lindsay Wallace, who she's supposed to be watching. And she looks out the window, and Michael's stalking her out the window. And she doesn't say anything about it, just like Jamie Lee Curtis did in the original. And this is supposed to be the scene where he's standing behind the car. Rob Zombie did not want Michael to know how to drive in his fucking movie. It didn't make any sense. And he reiterated, 10-year-old in a man's body, right? But he's standing in front of the original Laurie Strode house from the 78 film. Okay. So that was kind of neat. And she looks one of the times and he's gone. She doesn't think anything of it. It's Halloween night. He had a mask on, right? Yeah. Back at Smith's Grove, we can see Loomis arguing with the director and it's a German guy, I can't think of his name right now, like he was in Blade and stuff. And apparently he had a lot more shots. It all got cut. Most of it because it was unusable because Malcolm McDowell would just randomly start fucking humping. Them. They, <laughs> they would start doing like barbershop quartet dances and stuff. It's ridiculous. Nice. But they're throwing Loomis under the bus for the escape. Oh, you should have let us know how dangerous he was, right? Because they're going off the, he just slaughtered all the guards in the hallway yeah. that we didn't get. Um, but Loomis gets pissed and he leaves and he delivers the two roadblocks and an all point bulletin wouldn't stop a five-year-old line. So I'm glad Robert used it. And they asked him what he wants him to do. And he says, I want you to call Haddonfield police and you let him know where he's going. I'm like, where's he going? And he's like, you know where the fuck he's going. And they argue with him and he fucking pisses off. Right. Haddonfield. <laughs> That seems pretty much like the original. Yeah. We cut back to the school and we see our trio of girls walking home together. And Linda delivers some totalies here. Thank God. And 
I'm so glad they put that in the film. Like, I like the little throwbacks. But yeah. they slut shame Linda, and they continue to walk until they see the shape stalking them from across the road. Annie thinks that he's just a pervert cruising for high school chicks, and they start taunting him, like, oh, you want to fuck this and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't think we need to go into the white trash dialogue. He didn't have Deborah Hill to write the girl's dialogue for him like John did, right? So this is what we get. Yeah. But Annie shuts the shit down saying her dad's the sheriff. Don't fuck with me. And he walks off, and she's like, look, see, they're all scared of me. Sheriff Brackett pulls up just in time for Mikey to be gone. And he offers them a ride. Linda doesn't ride with pigs, right? <laughs> and Annie's like, fuck it, I'm getting in the car. And they drive off, and Linda and Lori part ways here. Lori makes it home and helps her mom with the Halloween decorations while Michael's stalking them in the background from across the street. He actually stalked her all the way home as she's walking. Yep. Some of this was reshoots also. Uh, actually, it might have all been reshoots. It's creepy, though, because you see Michael Myers stalking people in daylight, which is something you don't normally get. Yep. Because this scene in the original film, he was driving the car behind her, right? We cut to another reshot scene. Did not exist in the original film. It's Loomis in the cemetery with the groundskeeper played by Sid Haig. We've gone into him a lot on the show. Everybody, rest in peace, Sid Haig. Everybody knows who he is, right? Yes, they better. But while they're walking, Sid is just like bitching about like this and that <laughs> and the fucking murder and teenagers. And the doctor, the kid, was like a blood-sucking leech that wrote a book. And he's like, oh, yeah, I heard of it. It was a fucking masterpiece, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's mostly ignoring him other than that. We then find a gravestone missing, and Loomis figures out that it's Judith's grave, just like in the original, and he runs off, but we can see there's a dead fox on a wooden cross there. Yep. Rob called the prop guy that morning while driving to the cemetery to shoot and said, I have an idea, or while getting ready to drive to that shoot, and said, I have an idea. I want, like, a dead animal impaled on a cross. Like, Michael left it in his place. And he's like, I don't got shit. I can't fucking do this. He's like, I got taxidermy all over my house. I'll bring you something. So Rob <laughs> brought a taxidermy fox. And they just fucking put, like, baloney and shit in it. Like, after he ripped it apart and destroyed it, he's like, this was on Rob's mantle 30 minutes ago. <laughs> That's great. We get a title card that says Trick or Treat, only in the director's cut. But they'll let us know it's Halloween night now. It's It's been Halloween day. We saw the date earlier. Yeah. And we cut to the shape standing outside on the balcony of his home like he just had a smoke or something. And Linda and Bob show up in the shagging wagon to go into the F shack, right? <laughs> Apparently, this is their spot because they're bitching about how they can't believe it was sold where they're going to go fuck now. Yep. Right? We then cut to Linda riding Bob and telling him that she's almost there. And then he finishes early. And she's pissed and sends him to go get her beer. And Michael stalks from the shadows. Linda cuts on the radio and we get Don't Fear the Reaper, which is a throwback to the OG, right? And she uses her cell phone. So there are cell phones in this movie. Like I said, it's really ambiguous in the decades. Yeah. Because there's no landline. It's an abandoned house to call Lori. And she's upset that Annie called her a slut. But she always liked Lori better anyways, right? <laughs> and she just wants Lori to tell her she's not a slut. We see Bob trying to fish out some beer from the cooler, and he just keeps finding empties, and he's mad. And I, that'll make me kill, <laughs> right? That pisses me off. Just, it's like going through my kid's Halloween bag the day after Halloween, and I just keep pulling out empty wrappers. Just fucking throw them away! <laughs> but we then cut to him back in the house, and he's got the Bob ghost sheet on with the glasses, and he's walking through the hallway to be creepy. And then Michael just fucking bum rushes him out of nowhere and chokes him up against a wall and then impales him with a knife that's too short to hold him against the wall, yes. much like the original Bob. 
And he does the the head tilt that Nick Castle invented there perfectly. <laughs> Only Tyler Mann did it perfectly. <laughs> Originally, Bob got killed in the van. Okay. Like, I've seen the scene. Like, he opens the van and reaches in the cooler, and Tyler just leans out from over the cooler and just fucking grabs him and yanks him in and slams the door. Okay. And that's where he died. Reshoots. He decided to change it. I think it's because he decided he wanted the sheet. I think, I think it's because somebody saw Scream too. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think it's because he decided he wanted the, the ghost Bob sheet scene in, right? Yeah, we needed it. But we see the shape in the ghost sheet with Bob's glasses on. And we can see that Linda's off the phone to Lori now. And she gives the see anything you like line as we get the obligatory tit shot, as Randy called it in Scream, right? Yep, yep. She gets pissed because he actually holds up the beer. Like, I got yes. it. And she runs up and yanks her fucking beer from him and just starts chugging it and turns around. And she's like, you're like a negative 11. Because earlier, it's like, on a scale of 1 to 10, she's like 5. <laughs> and he's like, more like an 11, right? So she's like, you're a negative 11. And Mikey doesn't like that. Um, but no, he reaches like the sheet comes off and, and Rob didn't like the scene because like Tyler's so big and it would come down and it would fucking frizz the hair up on the mask. And then <laughs> but it slides off and he does this cool reach around choke scene. Yeah. And he's, I mean, she, she got strangled on the phone with Lori with the phone cord in the original, but this was a good compromise of that scene. And then we see him carrying her naked body off. But we cut from here to a gun store where we can see Dr. Loomis buying his famous 357 from the drummer of the monkeys. Yeah. And we cut to the Strode house as Mom and Lori are handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. And Mom's reminiscing on when Lori used to dress like a princess. She's like, Mom, I never did that shit. I was always a goth witch. Right? <laughs> and Dad comes out and he tells her to be safe that night because she's going to babysit. Right? And Annie picks her up to take her to go babysit Tommy. Dad wants to know if he's getting lucky tonight. Mom's like, I don't know, maybe. I'm going to go start the fire. And she heads in the house. Dad's smoking this whole time. And I love this scene because he stands up and takes a drag off the cigarette right as D. Wallace shuts the door. And Michael, I don't even know where the fuck he comes from. He like apparates <laughs> and just quick slits the throat with a yep. knife. You just see him step into frame, slash dad's throat, grab his fucking sweater vest with his right hand and catch the door with his left hand right before it shuts and drag it and shut the door. It's just so fast. Yeah. And mom's like, what the fuck? And she's screaming and crying. But Mikey grabs a picture of Lori and shows it to her and he's shaking it like, her. Where is she, right? And the mom's like, you stay away from my baby. And he gets fucking pissed. And he starts chunking her through furniture. And then he just snaps her neck, right? Yep. We then cut to the Doyle residence where Lori is watching Tommy. And he starts to obsess over the boogeyman being real. And I want to point out that Tommy is dressed as the Crimson Ghost in this movie. And it's because Rob Zombie is a huge Misfits fan. Yeah. So he's like, fuck being an astronaut. You're the Crimson Ghost. Yeah, yeah. I think even before the phone call, before we switch over to Don't Fear the Reaper in the previous scene, you actually get Misfits Halloween very quietly playing in the background. It's actually Halloween 2. Ah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Misfits had more than one Halloween song. This is true. <laughs> I knew I faintly heard one of them, damn it. <laughs> but... Lori tries to scare Tommy about the boogeyman, which I think Jamie did in the first one, right? Yep. And Annie calls her, and we can see the shape stalking her from out back. I don't know how we knew where the fuck she lived or where to go. I guess we really didn't know in the original one either, though, we did we? didn't. But she's calling about bringing Lindsay over, and Tommy's not happy about it. But like in a ooh, girl cooties yeah. kind of way, right? We see Lindsay watching the thing again, right? But Mikey's standing behind her on the couch watching the movie and watching her. And he doesn't touch her. 
And I think it's because he's it's a kid on Halloween in a costume watching the movie. It's like when he did it. Like, this is cool. He's 10. Oh, he's 10 in his head, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. like thinking back to that night. These are my people. Out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amy heads in the room and Mikey just vamps. Like, he's gone. And her and Lindsay head off. They walk, which is really funny because it's across the street, but it looks like a long walk. And there's, I'm going to get to that. Okay. We see Loomis meeting with Brackett, and he's letting him know that Michael's escaped, and he thinks that Mikey's in town and that he stole the tombstone, and Brackett tries to blow him off, and Loomis lets him know that evil is here. <laughs> we see Annie and Lindsay walk into the Doyle house as the shape's following them, and Annie drops Lindsay off and tells Lori that she set her up with Ben Tramer, and Lori seems a lot more receptive to it in this film. She's immediately like, yes! <laughs> and... Uh, Paul shows up to pick Annie up in his car, even though she had a car. And it was across the street, which we're definitely going to know in a minute, to drive over. I don't know why. Okay, okay. I see what you're getting at. But as they drive off, we can see that the shape's watching him, right? So he knows what's going on. Back at the sheriff's office, we can see that Loomis and Brackett are still arguing. And Brackett reads his book, and he lets him know how pissed off he is about it. He's like, I fucking know who you are, and you made you know money <laughs> off the blood of this town. And Loomis makes him look at a picture in the book of Michael and the blackest eyes, right? And he just lets him know how fucking evil he is and that he thinks he's coming back for his baby sister because that's the only fucking thing in the world left that he ever cared about. Brackett makes Loomis promise to play it razor straight because he's about to break a promise that he said he'd never break. And they get in the car and rush off for this 40-minute drive for the small town. Okay? <laughs> he calls the Strode house and he gets the answering machine. And we can see the fucking carnage as he leaves the message. There is blood everywhere. Their bodies are staged, and it was a massacre. Yep. Brackett immediately thinks something's up. I don't know why. I guess maybe they all always answer the phone, or he just doesn't want to change it at this point. Him and Loomis start to head over there. Back at the Doyles, Tommy starts talking about the boogeyman again, and Lindsay gets in on it, right? Because they're like, Lori, you're hiding something from us. You must know about the boogeyman. And we cut to Annie and Paul at the Wallace residence, making out on the couch. Paul lays down with the pillow talk. So fucking warm. <laughs> so bad. What are these lines? Mikey must like what he sees because he lets him continue for a little while while he watches. No. Until he yanks Paul off of her and just stabs him and chunk his body like dead weight. And Annie tries to run out the door. And she the camera goes outside and we see her run out. And Mikey just fucking grabs her and yanks her in. And we get this far zoomed up shot of the house as the door slams with no sound. One of my favorite shots in the movie. Yeah, it's awesome as shit. Something about it. Funny thing about this house, the people who owned it said, you can't do anything with blood on our fucking floor. <laughs> That's why there's a rug. She's always under a rug, if you pay attention. Oh, uh, yeah. But we cut to inside where Annie's fighting for her life, and she's trying to get him. She's, like, getting weapons. She's fighting back, but he overpowers her, and she tries to crawl away, and he grabs her and drags her deeper into the house. On a rug. Exactly. <laughs> Tyler Maine said this is his favorite kill in the whole fucking movie because it leaves so much to the imagination. They get like such a visceral fight and she's the only person to really fight back on him. Yeah. And then he just fucking drags her off into the darkness and you don't know what happens. But we cut back to the duels and Lori says it's time for Lindsay to go home because they had a deal, right? Because she doesn't want to get caught. And we cut back to Brackett's car flying down the street, sirens blazing, and he explains that he got a call for the Deborah Myers suicide because somebody heard a gunshot. And when he arrived, she was dead and the baby was crying. He didn't want her to get stuck in the system because his family had seen enough and he was trying to, you know, put the family in a new leaf. So he admitted the baby from the report. 
and drove her over to the hospital in the next town over and left her there. Shortly afterwards, one of his best friends, which is Mr. Strode, happened to adopt the very same baby. Dun, dun, dun. This next little bit jumps around a lot, so forgive me. As I say, hey, meanwhile, and cut here and this and that. We see Lori and the kids show up at Lindsay's house, and they walk in and find Paul hanging with a jack-o'-lantern on his head, and Annie's on the floor bleeding. But the important thing is she's still alive. Holy shit. Lori sends the kids back to the Doyle house. She actually says, go to your house, to Lindsay. But they're in Lindsay's house, but ignore that. Yeah. To call the police. And then she goes to call the police from there. And as she calls 911, the door shuts. And Michael was hiding behind it the whole time. And Danielle's trying to, oh, I just called her Danielle. <laughs> Annie's trying to warn her, but her throat's crushed or something, right? And she just can't get it out loud enough. And Mikey goes to Paul's hanging body and he just starts pushing it like it's a toy. Yeah. And he does it for a while, 10 year old in a man's body. Okay. Bracket gets the 911 call from the dispatch operator, who's Rob Zombie. And. <laughs> When he hears that Lori Strode called it in, he's like, I got it. We're 10 minutes away. And he fucking rushes to the house of Loomis. Back in the house, the shape grabs Lori as she checks on Annie again and throws her around. And she breaks out the glass door and takes off down the street, limping as he slowly follows. Very reminiscent to the original film. She makes it back to the duels and she can't get in and beats on the door for Tommy to let her in. No keys. He lets her in reluctantly and she relocks the door. And right as she does this, Mikey smashes through the fucking door, right? Just like he's the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> the little girl playing Lindsay's screams are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. It's great. Best part, they hadn't seen Tyler Maine in costume yet. Oh, great. And Rob just set him on the stairs and had him fucking rip through the door. <laughs> Another entertaining thing to watch on the documentary is the amount of shit that wasn't made to break through. And they're just like, Tyler, you got to get through. Yeah. I mean, he is a fucking beast it's terrifying when he smashes the doors but he just i mean they knew that something was about to happen and then they just see tyler main in costume ripped through that fucking door and that was a real scream that was the first time i shit myself exactly that's why i had my brown pants on and my queen sheep outfit but the kids go hide in the house with Lori, and they can hear police sirens in the distance so they think they're safe in this bathroom with a glass door uh-huh. We see the police arrive at the Doyle house, and one of the cops goes upstairs while the other one searches downstairs, and he finds the locked and barricaded bathroom. And Lori's like, somebody's out there, and he's like, nobody's out here. I'm by myself. And he's like actually arguing with her, and yeah. she does not want to open that fucking door. Eventually, he convinces her to open the door, and right as she walks up to it, a blade comes through the glass covered in blood. The other cop comes upstairs first and shoots, and I think he pops him in the chest. And then he just fucking cuts the shit out of that cop and kills oh, him. Yeah. Then he goes to the glass, right? He goes in. The kids can see all the fucking dead bodies, grabs Lori, and he just leaves. We cut to an outside shot, and we can see him slowly carrying her limp, unconscious body. I don't know why she's unconscious, because she was kicking and screaming a second ago. But he walks down the street towards the Myers house. Brackett and Loomis show up at the Wallace house and find Annie and Paul. Brad said that this is his favorite scene in the movie because he has all daughters. And he got to use all those feelings like his daughters were dying. Like, uh, like, 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 like he got to be a dad caring for his daughter. And he liked being able to use those emotions in that scene. Danielle was really upset on the behind the scenes because this is her only scene in the movie with Malcolm. And she's laying on the ground topless, covered in blood, and doesn't get to talk to him. Because <laughs> she's a fan. 
Right. <laughs> Anyways, we hear more sirens off in the distance, and Loomis goes out to flag down the ambulance, and the kids run up asking him for help. He tells them to wait by the police car, and he heads towards the Wallace house, right? We cut to the Myers basement, where Lori comes to and finds Linda's lifeless body laying on the ground next to a lit jack-o'-lantern, but more importantly, at the foot of a tombstone that says Myers. And I called it Judith's tombstone earlier, because that's what it is in the original. I yeah. wonder if it's supposed to be mom's in this. Because he didn't give a shit about his sister. True. Granted, we don't know if he gave a shit about his sister in the original because he just fucking goes up and kills her. But he's just <laughs> pure evil in the original, right? Yeah. Uh, and this one, there's backstory. And I, I'm willing to bet it's mom's, but it could just be Judith's because it was in the original. I don't know. It just says Myers, though. It doesn't have a first name. Okay. Either way, Michael walks up and... Lori wants to know what he wants, and he drops the knife and gets down on his knees and kind of walks to her on his knees, and he shows her a picture of little Mikey holding Boo, right? The picture his mom gave him in the asylum. And she won't take the picture from him, and he keeps shaking it. Like, here, take the fucking picture. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know who they are. I'm sorry. And she's crying, but she eyeballs the fucking knife on the dirt, right? He starts to take his mask off to show her his face to see if maybe she'll recognize him. Ten-year-old kid, there's not a lot of logic here. Yeah. And she gets, like, just so confused about what's going on right now, she doesn't even immediately go for the knife. And she just stares at him as he sits there on his knees with his mask off, and she crawls to him and says that she just wants to help, but she doesn't understand. And then she grabs the knife and stabs him in the shoulder chest area. This is the first scene they shot. There were real knives and prop retractable knives and she didn't know that and grabbed a real knife and stabbed Tyler in the fucking chest with a knife. Luckily, they're dulled. It's just still to a point. And yeah. she didn't stab that hard, but she got him a little bit. So what a way to break the ice, right? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> but anyways, after being stabbed, he just kind of fucking falls over limp. It's kind of crazy. He's on his knees and he just drops. And she realizes she's locked in the fucking basement, right? And she starts to beat a hole through the wall and crawls through the little hole only to get stopped by a gate. Like, he's super locked them in there. And in the background, he does the slow setup. Dun, 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 and pulls the knife out, right? Yep. And with the shape theme going strong, she, she manages to cut through the fence just enough to crawl through, unaware of what's going on with Mikey in the background. And then he just immediately Kool-Aid mans his way through all the walls. She just fought her way through to get to her. <laughs> and she runs up the stairs through her little hole and forces her way through the basement door. And he just fucking smashes through everything. Now, this was a set piece. You went up the stairs, you opened the door. There was just a little platform and you were 20 feet up in the air. Okay. She's supposed to go up there and wait. And he fucking smashed his way up, smacked the door open. Scout goes flying, and he literally had to grab her really quick and pull her back on. Oh, nice. Because she didn't have much space to stand. I don't, I don't know if he was aware of that or not. So he saved her life, basically. 20-foot fall, I'd fuck you up. <laughs> don't worry. There's another dangerous stunt coming up. Yay. Back to the film, we see Lori trip and fall into an emptied pool. The Myers family had a fucking pool in that house. I know, right? The pool wasn't in the script. On the behind-the-scenes documentary, he did all the location scouting. He, he did everything. Costumes. He was, a, he was very much involved in this. And when they went to see the house that they were, had the option of using, he saw there was a drained pool. He's like, fuck it, I'm writing it in the script. Right? So the pool got added in. I thought it was kind of neat. But she lies down at the bottom of the pool, screaming for help as Mikey comes out. And he walks around the pool, staring her down the whole time. She has nowhere yeah. to go. It's a cool scene. And he enters the pool as she backs up 
all the way down to the deep end and he corners her. But Loomis runs up and saves her by talking to Michael and distracting him for a second. And he starts to ignore Loomis and walk anyways. So Loomis begs him to stop and he won't stop. So he pops him once. He seems really upset that he just shot Michael, but Michael won't stop going. So he has to put two more into him (laughs) and he drops on the third shot. Loomis comforts her and he takes her up to the squad car that he arrived in with his coat wrapped around her, which is important because there's a gun in it, right? Yep. At this point, I'm calling it the third act, no matter which version of the movie you watch. (laughs) We can see that Michael is still laying in the pool as Loomis and Lori get in the car and Loomis is understandably upset about shooting him. And that's the director's cut scene again. Yeah. Right, him being upset. And Lori asks if he was the boogeyman, and Loomis says, yes, as a matter of fact, I believe it was. One of my favorite lines from the original, I'm so glad it made it in here. And everything seems fine. And this is where the original movie, the original 78 movie, ended. And you think it's going to end here. The camera's panning out, the music's kicking in. And oh, fuck, Mikey smashes through the glass <laughs> and yanks Lori out. And Loomis gets out and begs him to let her go. He says that it was not her fault. He was the one who failed him and to take his life instead. So he obliges. He yep. throws her down grabs Loomis and starts fucking squeezing his head until he starts bleeding out, right? Lori knocks a hole in the wall and in the house, right? Because she ran into the house when he threw her and she hides in between the walls, right? Yeah, like fucking Texas Chainsaw remake. <laughs> it's also uh, Evil Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, that just started showing up <laughs> around this time. I don't know. It bothers me. But she freaks out when she hears Loomis's body hit the floor and she decides now she needs to be quiet and covers her mouth as she's whimpering, right? And we can see Mikey dragging Loomis inside. I don't know why. I don't know if you want to keep him in his house because it was his buddy. <laughs> he shouldn't be smart enough to hide him from the cops. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe he wasn't done with him. Yeah. But anyways, he finds the jacket on the ground. So he knows she's somewhere nearby and he pulls out his knife. He starts to walk around the house and he appears to give up on this floor, right? And walk away until she makes a whimper sound and he stops and he looks at the wall and then you start fucking breaking holes to the wall like he's going to get her. <laughs> Luckily, we can see that she's crawled out of a different hole and she's hiding around the corner now as he continues to Hulk smash in the background. She sees that Loomis's gun has fallen out of the coat on the floor and she slowly goes for it. And then she can see that Loomis is still alive. But the shape cuts the corner and comes running in and she takes off running and he slowly goes after her. But Sam musters up enough strength to grab Mikey's leg, but he says, fuck it. He just keeps walking and dragging his body until he can't hold on anymore and he passes back out. We can see Lori hiding in the attic with the gun and Mikey shows up and he knows she's up there for some reason. So he picks up a two by four and he just starts fucking slamming it through the ceiling. One of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's just, you can only do this with a seven foot tall Michael Myers, right? Yeah. And he continues to knock holes until there's nowhere left for her to go. And she tries to crawl into the next room part of the attic, but the ceiling gives out and she falls. She stands up bleeding and broken and they stare each other down and she slowly pulls the gun up and he fucking charges her full speed, knocking her through the window and off the balcony, which is kind of an homage to him falling in the OG. Yep. If you notice the balcony breaks, they fall about a foot and then it cuts to black and then you just cut to them on the ground because the stunt woman got fucked up. Nice. When they flew off the edge. Rob wasn't willing to reshoot the scene. Okay. Because of how bad she got hurt. Because, I mean, it was a stunt double as big as Tyler Maine fell on her when they went over. Ah. And he didn't want to show her getting hurt. Okay. So it just cuts to black, and then they're on the ground, right? We fade back in, as I said, and Lori's waking up on the ground next to an unconscious Myers, and she grabs the gun. 
straddles him, and slowly starts to fire it in his face. Click. She keeps hitting empty chambers. Click. Click. He then grabs her arm as we hear the sirens come in, and boom, she shoots him in the face. Fucking blood flies out and sprays all over her. She starts to scream in unison with the sirens, and we get a shot of Mikey and Boo as kids. The end. Rob wanted to make fucking sure they never asked him to do a sequel, so he's like, I'll have her blow his fucking brains out. Yeah. With a 357, and he can't come back. Uh-huh. This isn't the original ending of the movie. <laughs> so this is different from what they first shot. So this is a reshot scene. Okay. Sweet, because the director's because the only ending I know. <laughs> original ending. Boogeyman speech in the squad car. Oh, we're going all the way back there? Shape breaks through the glass, grabs Lori, and yanks her out. Loomis runs out of the car, and he starts talking to Mikey. Just trying to talk him down, right? Like when he's okay. a kid. And somehow, he, like, he reaches what's left of Michael in there. And Michael stops and drops Lori right as bracket and the cops run up and they unload 50 fucking rounds into his body over Loomis. Like Loomis grabs Lori and they crouch and it's fucking just obliterate him in gunfire. Okay. And he fell over dead in the credits rolled. But either way, he was supposed to be fucking permanently dead, dead. They shot the original ending. Rob went and edited the movie and he didn't like that Lori, the original final girl, right? Had yeah. to be rescued. Yeah, I can see that. So he needed her to fight and be tough and kill him, but he also needed Michael dead so that he didn't have to make a sequel. <laughs> so they went back and reshot the whole, like, Loomis getting his head squished, because Loomis didn't even get fucking hurt. Yeah. Right? Into the house, attic scene smashing, and then her fucking shooting him in the head. All reshoot. Okay. That's it. That's the whole movie. My conclusions of the film... I've really had mixed feelings up and down about this film over time. Okay. And, and I understand part of that now, since opening night is when I had the height of my original feelings, right? Because I saw a different version of the movie that had a lot of the shit I didn't like cut out. Yeah. And some of the shit I didn't like was the backstory being added. Some of the dialogue, like I said, and it just not being Halloween enough to me sometimes. And that's how I landed on what I said earlier about awesome slasher movie, not so much Halloween. But now, you know, I know more about it. And I get like what Rob was trying to do in his vision. And I appreciate what he did more. But some of those other things still bother me. But either way, it's an awesome fucking slasher movie, right? After watching it a few more times and watching a four and a half hour doc on this thing, I really see what he was trying to go for. And I think he nailed that. And like, there's something to say about a director having a vision and a goal and doing it. I was going to say on the balls to stick with it yeah. as much as the studio would let him. And honestly... I might do this as a fun little side project. I could edit this movie and hand you an hour and 10 minute version. And it's <laughs> roughly the exact same movie. Yeah. Like it's in here. So what was important and what counted, he knew what to keep. Yeah. And then to my understanding, everything else was really Rob Zombie. And like I said, he felt like he should have leaned more on his original stuff. Cause he, that's the parts he liked the best about the movie. And he thought yeah. was the best. And, for people that are Rob Zombie fans, like huge Rob Zombie fans and love all his work and, and for what he was trying to do, it sounds like he was right on that aspect. And his idea to do just a younger Michael, like he, I mean, I probably would have been pissed when it came out, but it's, he probably did an, an excellent job since that was his whole plan the whole time, right? Yeah. His touch really was the first half of the movie or the first movie, if you want to look at it as two movies go together. Yeah. And I also saw him say that he really wanted to focus on the mental health system. And how people just don't get the care they need and get let loose on the world. 
Yeah. And he leaned hard on that in the second one, but it originated here. Like yeah. Michael needed help and he didn't get it. And then Michael didn't have proper help and his doctor gave up on him and he fuck, he didn't get released on the world. He released himself, but yeah. that was something he wanted to address. And that is a, a, a huge problem in our country. Right. And probably worldwide, to be honest, I just only know about where we live. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's cause, cause here we, 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 uh, we either let them loose or we just lock them away from in the darkness where people fucking <laughs> lock up their problems. Cause that, that's not what our original fucking institutions were. Anyways. Right, right, right. <laughs> But anyways, all in all, I don't care if you're a diehard Halloween fan that hates this movie because I know there's plenty of you out there. Hell, I've been on your side of the line a couple of times. <laughs> but you can't argue that this was not a very well-made movie. The cinematography, oh, yeah, the yeah, sets, yeah, yeah. the acting. I can nitpick some of the dialogue scenes, and I will always do that with this movie. <laughs> but after watching this and after watching the documentary and seeing how fucking hard he worked on this movie, how much time he invested in it, how much he just adapted and changed things with the actors and the scenery and whatever costumes they had available and props that day and how much he wanted this movie to be. I want to go back and watch all Rob Zombie's movies now. Like I said, I'd never do. Oh, that's you've grown. I have grown <laughs> Rob Zombie. <laughs> Nobody probably could have done better. Honestly. I mean, well, I say that, but David Gordon Green has done a pretty outstanding job, but he didn't start over from scratch. True. He just rebooted the franchise part, not the original movie. Yeah. So we're not apples to apples. Exactly. Here. So before we move on, you got anything? Yeah, this was one that, you know, of course, I don't have the same love of the original. So I was already like more open. Uh-huh. And the but the same as what we've talked about before, like the the part of why the Michael Myers character always worked was you don't fucking know. Right. Like right. that's that's it. He's not a dream demon. He's not carrying a chainsaw and eating people. It's like what's driving this fucker? And I don't like the the emphasis on the backstory. I've joked many times in like earlier tonight, like you cut 40 minutes out of the beginning of the movie and it feels better. Right. And like we've said from the angle of just a psychopath becoming a psychopath, it's great backstory yeah, and, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's well done. Still don't think it's right for, for, right. Uh, for Michael Myers. I think it could have just been touched on. Right. But it, it's, it's a little heavy handed. And what we say about Michael and our opinion about it, like he's just fucking evil and crazy. That honestly only exists in the original film. Yeah. Like in, in Halloween two, yes, Deborah and John made it. He wrote it drunk on Bud Light, right? He's drinking BLs because they made him do it. And he added the sister thing. Yeah. And then we got the Curse, the curse of the, of the thorn. thorn. Right, right. So yeah. they did end up doing it, and we bitched about that, too. And then the next thing you know, we got fucking Buster Rhymes kung fu fighting. <laughs> the amount of times I saw Rob Zombie say they asked me to make the eighth film means he also forgot <laughs> yes. resurrection happened just like I did when we planned the, the Halloween franchise episode last year. But yeah, like you said, man, the rest of the movie, like the acting, the writing, the production, like all awesome. Yeah. Um, as we've touched on, I only know the director's cut because right. that's all I have. So, but no, still fucking fun movie. And like, so, so not dark right. compared to other Rob Zombie movies. Well, yeah. I'd see that. And honestly, I don't, give a fuck who remakes the original Halloween, I'm probably always going to dislike it in some way because yeah. you always like the first version of something. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's a hard thing to redo, and you don't want to piss in the Holy Grail, as yeah. Rob put it. <laughs> and he really didn't want to do a sequel. No, he did he, not. He finished the movie, and he looked Bob Weinstein in the eyes and said, no fucking sequels. 
right? I'm not doing it. He fucking killed Michael. Both endings. Made sure he couldn't come back. And Josh is going to go into much more detail on this, I'm sure. But eventually he caved and and had to do the sequel because it was happening with or without him. And Josh is going to tell us more about that in 2009's Halloween 2. Of course, written and directed by Rob Zombie. Of the cast returning, we see more of Sherry Moon Zombie, Scout Taylor Compton, Brad Dorif, Malcolm McDowell, Tyler Maine, and Danielle Harris. Yeah, yeah. A couple we need to add is Chase Vanek as young Michael Myers. Right. Because What's-His-Nuts, who played him in the first movie, was like way too fucking tall to even attempt right, right. to bring him back. And Margot Kidder as the fucking shrink. You I know, didn't even catch that. Yes. I kept seeing her pop it up in the credits. And I'm like, how did I miss her? And then I finally looked. I was like, oh, my God, she's the fucking shrink. <laughs> <laughs> so special effects. Once again, nobody jumped out at me um, on this one. So sorry if I'm forgetting anybody. But I'm sure there was like a horse guy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about the horse guy. Um <laughs> So as we've alluded to, there is a documentary for this film that has not been released because supposedly it would show just how much the Weinsteins fucked up this film. But more on that later. Carpenter, after the burying of the hatchet, was supposedly offered a cameo. And uh, Carpenter, <laughs> like you told the whole story perfectly. And Carpenter really wasn't that happy about this movie. But at this point, it was more Carpenter. I don't really <laughs> give a fuck Carpenter. Now, like we talked about, Zombie did not want to make this movie. And they kept asking and asking and asking and even saying, well, we'll we're going to have this person do it. And they're saying we're going to do this and we're going to have that person. And they're saying they're going to do that. And finally, Rob Zombie is like, OK, I'm hearing all these horrible fucking ideas of, of something that I feel <laughs> I feel like they're going to shit on my baby. They're going to they're going to fuck what I made. And it's like, yeah, that's that's how Carpenter must have felt. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's like, finally, it was just like, fuck it. I'm going to have to come in and save it because these fuckers, the right. Weinsteins are going to make this movie. <laughs> he did get his contract set up when he made the first one where he could make another movie. Yeah. So he talked him into Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes. And he got almost all the way up to shooting. Yeah, that, then, mo that movie almost happened. And Bob told him it was going to be too expensive and fuck it. He's doing Halloween too. Yep. And he bailed. And like you said, you know, he, he started hearing different things that might be going on. And he said he, he bumped into Matt on the street, which is the guy under Bob. Okay. And he's like, so how's Halloween 2 going? He's like, it's not going, Rob. We just can't get it started. And he's like, well, if it's still available, I'll do it. Okay. But the best part I saw was like, it was like an MTV interview or something. It was him and Tyler. And they were on there for something unrelated. And they're like, so how is it being back for Halloween too? And Rob's like, I'm not fucking making that. <laughs> and then Tyler just gets pale and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Like on live TV. And he's like, they told me you were making it. Oh, this is the first time hearing it. And he's just like fucking shocked because he thought Rob was making the movie. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, eventually it did, but it's just, just fucking crazy. That, that shows that he really did fight it though. He fought yeah. harder than John did, it sounds like. Yeah. Now, uh, Daniel Harris has been very <laughs> vocal about how much she does not like the sequel. She says she was great at it, but <laughs> other than that, she really does not like it. Now, this is going to be the whole director's cut, theatrical cut thing again, and the only version I've seen is the director's cut, and I will point out some stuff as we go along, so I had to watch a lot of videos and do a lot of reading. Um, the big, big takeaways, though, with the director's cut is where you get several added and extended inside Michael Myers' head yeah. shots. The director's cut takes place two years later, 
where the theatrical version specifically says it takes place one year later. So that means we get to watch Hobo Michael Myers walk for two fucking years <laughs> instead of just one. Even the fucking trees are walking <laughs> in that movie. Exactly. The real big difference what, that we'll go into is that the relationship between Lori and Annie is completely different in the director's cut. In the theatrical version, they're fine. They're survivors. They got each other's back. Whereas in the director's cut, they're falling apart quickly and yeah. Lori is an absolute bitch right out the gate. This actually bleeds over into the therapist sessions that completely different versions were shot. Um, one dumped entirely in the theatrical version and the, huh. the reshot one in this version that goes way more into the family rage thing. Okay. Um, that happens when Lori runs out of drugs, but we'll, we'll go into that. The ending's different too. Very different. Yeah. Well, the very, very end of it. Very, very different. Yeah. Now, just like the first one, there's a lot of reshoots that happened and a lot of pickup shots. We'll go into some of those. So we open with white text on a black background that reads, White horse, linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. Ha! Huh. And it cites a book that doesn't exist. So uh, this is trying to explain the shit we're about to see, but the truth is Rob Zombie saw a white horse in a field during filming and came up with this plot device on the spot and put it in the fucking film. Ha! Huh. Yeah. I do know that he said he had no fucking idea where he was going to go with the movie and he made it. And that's what Danielle said. She's like, I don't think he knew what he was doing as we were going. But he said, Michael's already done everything. Like, what do I do? I guess we'll just fucking go in his head. Yeah. Like, that, that's about all he had going in. Exactly. So we then cut to a presumably reshot or at least pickup shot of Deborah Myers giving a white horse toy to the committed and recast Michael Myers, who <laughs> says he had a dream of his mom and a white horse title card. Yeah. yeah. We're all fucked. <laughs> Man, I can't believe we're doing it. <laughs> 15 years later. And uh, we see what's left of Lori walking down the street having, you know, now we're now we're like original Halloween one and Halloween two. We're picking up where we left off. Right. And uh, so she's walking down the street covered in blood after she just shot Michael Myers in the face. But maybe she just grazed him. <laughs> That's the quote that fucking Rob Zombie yes. would say in so many things like yes. it was off camera. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't even try to explain it. Exactly. He's alive. So uh, Bracket ends up picking her up, takes her to the hospital, and we see all these gnarly injuries. Like, she's fucked up and right. broken hands and shit. And we see Caroline Williams, Texas Chainsaw 2 and 3, Leprechaun 3, Hatchet 3. And you're hearing this doctor sit, that, that's scrubbing up with her that's talking like, yeah, she has this, da-da-da, we need stitches, da-da. Okay, that dude was a consultant that was hired to make sure they did the scene right. And in the commentary, Rob Zombie's like, I don't know how the fuck this happened, but the guy got all the lines and he ended up in the fucking movie. <laughs> so she's getting stitched up. Meanwhile, we get to see the coroner's hooks and Scott pick up Michael Myers from the scene where everything just went down with the help of four other people because he's a big son of a bitch. <laughs> he really is. And uh, Brackett tells them, take him to county and lock his ass up. Like he's a fucking corpse and like, take him to county and lock him <laughs> up. They take him to a county far, far away, apparently. <laughs> and uh, on the drive, they're talking about necrophilia and uh, mm. how you can't jelly your cock up a dead girl's ass. <laughs> Fuck. That is until the cow. You're like, cow! 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 Ah! 
So there's actually two cow stories. One, they had to shoot the cow hit like (laughs) three fucking times because like it was like an immovable object. And they actually ended up having to hire another effects company to come in and be like, I want van cow liquefaction. (laughs) But you would just get like a rubber cow flying off the air, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But it's cool that they needed to reshoot this anyways, because a lot of this scene was fucking lost when the film prints got x-rayed yes. at a damn airport and it killed them and they had to fly dude back from england yes and what's even worse is the guys hitting a cow on a dark road is a true story from yeah. rob zombie's fucking childhood yeah he says it's like the most made fun of thing he hears about this movie and he's like no it really happened it's like it's the realest thing in the fucking film yeah. and he said they just said cow cow <laughs> right before they hit it right just like the movie oh so uh the crash liquefies the cow (laughs) kills hooks and fucks scott up and uh kevin smith gets a run for his money and how many fucks per minute happen now (sighs) so uh with scott sitting there saying fuck 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 (laughs) fuck (laughs) he finally switches over to help me once michael myers hops out of the back and walks around to the front of the van you notice how much like the fucking ambulance lifts up when he gets out yes. like he hops out and it's like oh thank god and it's like fucking five feet taller and you know that was all tyler made <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> they didn't have the money to fucking do any hydraulics for that shot and uh he picks up a shard of glass and decapitates the shit out of scott yeah then he sees mommy and the horse in the distance <laughs> and there was a pale horse <laughs> and he drops the decapitated head and he walks up to him <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, I, I'm just fucking flabbergasted that you said he fucking saw a horse in a field and added it. And here I was thinking there was this whole deep mythology about how death rides a pale horse. No, he literally it says it in the commentary. This is where this Jesus. came from. Yes. I really thought it was just supposed to be his mom was the representation of death to no. take him to the other side. This is two things. This is Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. And my God, how bad were the ideas that were being kicked right. around. Right. I don't think it was his search for more money, though. No, it was the Weinstein search for more money. So uh, after Michael Myers walks up to the uh, white horse and mommy all in white, we hard cut to Lori waking up in a hospital and uh, nights in white satin is playing on her fucking TV in the hospital room. And she gets up and she hobbles over to Annie's room and uh, Annie's still alive, looking really fucking busted up, but at least still alive. Then uh, Nurse Daniels comes in. She's like, whoa, 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 honey, you don't need to be in here. Let's get you back to your room. And she starts guiding her back to her room before she gets called away over the fucking paging system. And then Michael Myers pops up and stabs the shit out of her. Yeah. Grunting the whole time for some reason. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he's fucking silent in the first movie like he should be. They added grunting in this movie and a line of dialogue. Yeah. Which we don't see, thank God. Right? Not in the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we go back to Lori, and she's heading down some stairs, and she's passing all these fucking victims, like, all fucked up in the stairwell and shit. And uh, we see that Michael Myers is now close behind her, and she makes it to the boiler room, and Freddy Krueger pops up. (laughs) No, she just falls into a pit of bodies. Now, the way this is explained away is A, dumb once you find out what's going on, and B, it's obvious what's going on. (laughs) But the body pit is supposed to be the rest of the murdered staff. You're supposed to understand that Michael Myers has killed everyone in the fucking hospital, and Annie and Lori are all that's left. Why? Because for those that don't know, this is a fucking dream sequence, and it's about like 20 minutes long, or at least it feels 20 minutes (laughs) long. 
Um, but this it, movie's basically an acid trip. For any other filmmaker, yes. For Rob Zombie, this is just like... <laughs> that's a wake-up stretch. Okay, okay. Um, So at any rate, Lori ends up actually making it outside of the hospital, and she comes up on this guard shack as Michael Myers makes his way to a fire axe. Buddy the guard shows up, who's played by Richard fucking Reilly, and his name is Buddy because Lori has a teddy bear named Buddy, which if you put two and two together, why would you figure that out later in the movie? It does not make sense. So we've got Lori and Buddy, the security guard and the guard shack and Buddy locks Lori in the guard shack so he can go bring the car around. And once he returns, he's quickly axed by Michael Myers, just <laughs> right in the back as he's trying to unlock the fucking door. Then we get to see Michael Myers break into the shack and uh, he axes Lori. No, wait, no, wait. She's waking up from her fucking nightmare. I'm just going to say he destroyed the fuck out of that shack when he goes into it. I love to watch Tyler Maine destroy a, a wall. He did. And the reason I kind of glossed over it is because they were told to build the whole shack breakaway. Candy glass, breakaway shack. Right. Tyler Maine is going to go full ham on it. The story from Rob Zombie is they told the prop guys, we can't afford that build a regular sh- shack and didn't tell anyone else on the crew. So they're like, all right, let's start breaking candy glass and breaking down walls. And it's like they find out quickly, holy shit, this is real glass. We got to make some candy glass. Tyler Maine, chop that shit up as best you can. We got to move on to the next shot, which is just like shit that happened in the first one is going to continue to happen in this one. Now, the other dead giveaway in the shack scene is right before uh, Lori gets almost axed is Knights in White Satin is still fucking playing on the TV okay. to let you know she's still in bed. But regardless... She's now awake, and uh, it's two years later. I will give this whole dream sequence one prop. Okay. They really fucking tricked your ass in the beginning to think it was like Halloween 2. Yes. And then he was going after Lori in the oh, hospital. Yeah. He just went ham right out the gate. So that was kind of a nice touch of misdirection there. Yeah. And we are fucking, we're going to have some callbacks, but for a lot of intents and purposes, we are basically abandoning what you know about the Halloween <laughs> franchise from this point forward. This really could have been Kung Fu the Legend or something <laughs> with him fucking walking. Like, I don't get it. So when we do see Lori wake up, she's like kind of got some dreadlocks. She's in some new digs. Right. And and uh, we see that she's heavily fucking medicated, not coping with the past, and that she's living with Brackett and Annie. And uh, over breakfast, Annie tells her to just take it one day at a time. And in the theatrical version, uh, Lori responds one day at a time, like that cheesy cliche shit, and we move on. Yeah. In the director's cut, it goes on a little longer. One day at a time. One fucking day at a time. You know what, if I hear that fucking phrase one more fucking time, I mean, she just fucking sits there in her fucking leather chair and judges me like she's fucking God. It's her job, Lori. We then see Lori with her psychologist, where she reveals that she's suffering from episodes of blinding rage. We also see that Lori sees a white horse in a Rorschach painting on the wall. None of that's in the theatrical version. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like... Beating you over the head with it right then. That like, oh, okay. Michael's seeing a white horse. Lori's seeing a white horse. She's having blinding episodes of rage when she doesn't have her medication. All right. It's family right. related fucking psychosis, nature whatever. Yeah. Nature. Exactly. I just realized something fascinating. So I've seen the theatrical cut once and I've seen the director's cut once. Yeah. So it's all fucked up in your head. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, and this goes back to the shit about the first one. Like, I love this idea. I love the idea of, of, of it going from one family member to another. And I yeah. should really save the shit for the end, but just not for a Halloween movie. But anyways. Did you see the ideas being toyed around that Michael was actually dead and Lori was the one killing everybody and she just thought Michael was doing it? Probably would have been a better movie. Probably. I, I didn't. I, I saw a little bit about that, but I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I didn't go too deep either because it wasn't my movie. But honestly, that would have made a better movie if she thought Michael's killing everybody around her and it was her doing it. There's a lot of things that could have made this a better movie. Now, since I shorthand my shit, we're now 30 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Where the fuck is Loomis? Right. We're fixed to get there. So we then see Lori head to work at Uncle Meat's Java Hole. Shit. <laughs> and we meet Meat, who's Howard Hessman. From fucking WKRP in Cincinnati, yeah, yeah. Fly the Navigator. Like, I grew up with this guy. Well, he was already around, but I was growing up and saw him on TV. Um, <laughs> we also meet Lori's friends, Maya and Harley. Now, Harley is Angela Trimber from fucking Final Girls, the girl that they had to keep from showing her tits. Okay, okay. Now, uh, the girls talk about their, their Halloween costume plan, but they don't reveal what it is. They're just <laughs> trying to decide, like, is it cheesy or not? Now, if you pay attention, we've got, like, fucking black flag shirts in this mm-hmm, scene. we got mm-hmm. minor minor threat posters, circle jerk posters, all this shit. And uh, Rob Zombie is like, we did what we we're supposed to do. We asked for, for, for permission for every band name thing you see from the Alice Cooper poster in the bathroom, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, you have to pay for it. But like, and we got all this and like, he goes on this whole thing about how big into DC hardcore he is. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I like this guy even more yeah. now. Like, this is so cool. Anyways. Meanwhile, <laughs> we find Loomis, who's kind of an asshole yeah. for the whole movie. And uh, he's running around selling his story at speaking gigs. And we see him at a gig where he's plagiarizing other people. And, uh, touches on the whole nature versus nurture thing again. And it kind of culminates in him being asked if he feels personally responsible for Michael Myers actions. And he seems to display legitimate sympathy. I think, I don't think it's lip service. I think part of it really is real, but Hey man, if this opportunity fell into your lap and you could profit off of it, most people would doesn't matter if you're good or not. What? Like rebooting the Halloween franchise. That's fuck. Did I just like, did, <laughs> did I just sympathize with the Weinsteins or with zombie? I think zombie. Okay. I'm okay with this. I mean, that's what he said. He's like, I hate remakes, but what do you do when they offer you Halloween? Well, it's kind of like the Carpenter thing. It was like, how do you feel about people remaking your movies? I think it's great. They give me a check and I don't have to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, to close out his little little speaking gig, he's also asked if he thinks Michael Myers is still alive. Let me make things nice and sparkling clear. Michael Myers is fucking dead. Now, do you brain dead gossip mongers want me to spell that out for you? D-E-A-D. That's where I thought they were going with him cutting the dude's head off. Like he was trying to make the body ambiguous. Like, whose body was in the car? But it's like, dude, you're three times the size of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You need to go start finding some more fucking cows and put them in your clothes. So we then see what we're going to see way too much in this movie. And I don't know how much of this is in the director's cut versus the theatrical cut, but I don't care. Maskless hobo Michael Myers on (laughs) his two-year fucking walk to Mount Doom. Um, (laughs) On his way, he stops at a barn to talk with Mommy. And she tells him, Mother, 
Tell children not to come my way. Oh, she tells Michael Myers that it's almost Halloween and that she's counting on him to bring us home this year. Whatever the fuck that means, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Has little Mikey's ghost popped up yet? Little Mikey standing there and speaks for Hobo Michael Myers. Okay. Says he won't let mommy down. The whole point here, for anyone that doesn't get it, and like we've already said. Oh, good. <laughs> we're inside Michael Myers' head. Okay. All these, when he's withdrawn and won't speak, da-da-da-da-da. Of course, it doesn't explain what the fuck he was seeing in the first movie. I guess we're supposed to believe he was seeing the fucking white horse leading him along. I don't care. Um, anyways, again, cool concept that dead mom speaking to him and, and guide him on his way. And the child that he stuck as at 10 years old is 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 what's really got it. Yeah. Just I not, like that with the, the kid. I didn't get that. That's awesome. Not for a Halloween movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that so much. Oh, I have a lot of hate for Hobo Michael Myers. So Hobo Michael Myers then exits the barn and runs straight into none other than Dwayne Whitaker from fucking Feast, Mark Boone Jr. from 30 Days of Night, and Betsy Rue from fucking My Bloody Valentine 3D. Michael Myers throws on the mask. He kills all three of them fairly quickly, and then he steals the dog out of the back of their truck. The dog's name is Dinner. (laughs) I mean, Ivan. But regardless, that dog's about to be Dinner. Um, and I blew through this and it's kind of just, it, it's, it's a pointless scene. It's yeah. let's, let's see Michael Myers kill some people. It's really the fucking Friday the 13th route. I get why it was there, honestly, because you hear the dude driving the truck say, I fucking told you not to come back here again. So we're supposed to get that. He's been living on this land for a while. Yeah. Walking in circles for two fucking years. <laughs> <Apparently>. <laughs> and resist. then you, you also got the woman trying to stop them from hurting him just in general and then stop yeah. them from killing him. And then he still goes and fucking kills her ass. Uh-huh. See, so you still got unsympathetic, Michael. So there were a couple valid points in this fucking crazy shit right here. Well, this is both good and bad to your point. This was all tacked on. This was a reshoot. I will say, um, this is a good spot to say it. This would normally go into a, a director's episode, but Rob zombie didn't go to film school. He doesn't storyboard. Nope. Which is funny because he can draw really yeah. well, right? Yeah. So he, he'll sit down to the storyboard guy, and he s- tells the guy the whole thing to storyboard it, and then he doesn't bring him on set. Because <laughs> he says now that he's worked it through his head, he's got it. Yeah. Right, right? So like, like he needs the the technique. He just doesn't need the, the artwork. And he adapts everything. Which, oh, yeah. This is for good, better or worse. Yeah. Right? Like, he adapts it on the day. If he needs to with the script writing. And like if he sees a horse on the way to set that day, <laughs> it works if you got a good general idea of beginning, middle, end. Yeah. I just feel like it was, he fucking winged it. Yeah. But I think that's why you get so many reshoots like that because he's not trained, which a lot of the directors we like didn't go to film school. Yeah. But he has an idea. He makes the movie and he's very involved in the editing process, which we like directors that do that. And then he realizes, oh, I fucked up. I need this. Yeah. Or it would have been better if I did this. And luckily, he doesn't leave the movie in the state. He goes and he fucking, fucking does it. Yes. Right? But like I said earlier, if you don't have a full plan, at least going in for an outline, you're going to have some crazy fucking shit happen. That's the thing. Like, because he always wanted to make movies and his fucking band gets signed. Yeah. Now, that's the way he tells the story. But the band was really, really heavily shopped. Anyways, so when the band gets signed, he weasels his way in directing their videos. Yeah. And that's some of the first shit he ever actually got to make with him, quote unquote, at the helm. 
And music videos, it's just like, we need to see this, we need to see this, we need to see this. Let's shoot some shit in between it. Right. Unfortunately, that's how he approaches making some of these movies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But you're right. He is smart enough to go back and go, fuck, we should have done this. We should have shot this. Like, this movie almost gets there. Like, it, it, it's almost there. It's it's like incomplete and a little disjointed. Is this more of like, wow, Rob Zombie made this? You mean like taken aback that this was a zombie picture compared to his other works? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so where we left off with is Michael Myers found him a dog for dinner. That seems to be his favorite delicacy. It is. So uh, we cut back to home and we see Lori, Annie, and Brackett discussing the origin of Starve and Marvin over dinner. <laughs> yeah. And Brackett goes on this tear about how it's like, maybe it's Lee Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Brad's Lee Marvin rant was mostly legit and off the cuff. Like okay. like he was getting mad at Scout and Daniel Harris like how do you not know who Lee Marvin is? <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's actually intercut with Michael Myers having some Ivan. And then we see Lori get sick while she's eating the pizza as we're seeing Michael eat the dog. Almost like there's some kind of psychic oh, link. Oh, yeah. Because there is a that whole dinner scene's a big thing about how they're vegan and dad's not. Yeah. Right? And in the in the director's cut, it goes all the way on to her running to the bathroom, throwing up, Annie going in there and consoling right. her. But I didn't I didn't really think about that. If a, if a vegetarian eats meat, they get sick because their body's not used to it anymore. And f- what the fuck? Yep. Are you trying to make me hate it more? Because I didn't know I could. We're we're going to get to some good stuff. It takes a while to get to the good stuff in this movie. So uh, we then get a peek into Michael Myers' head. And uh, <laughs> it's like this fucking weird Last Supper dream. Sca- it looks like a fucking music video. It looks like a Rob Zombie music video. There um, is a scene with Scout laying in the glass coffin with the goth makeup on. And that's when Sherry and, and Rob were dating, that's a white zombie video. Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah that's straight out of a video. Um, and this one may be too. I don't fucking know, but we've got like <laughs> the skeleton on the cross with the Michael Myers mask it's on it and all this shit. Weird. And Lori's laying on this table and young Michael Myers is like, look, mom, I found boo. And then like these hands come up and yank Lori into the table. And it's now October 30th. And that's how jarring it feels when you watch the scene. <laughs> Cause it just says October 30th. And, Jesse thinks he put the movie together in the wrong (laughs) order and runs to the booth real quick to check the reels. So while Michael Myers continues to walk around, Loomis preps for his bad taste interview because he's getting ready to do an interview in front of the house and his publicist, assistant, whatever. She's like, don't you think this is in bad taste? And he's like, I forget where it cuts off in the theatrical version because basically he tells her to bugger off. But in the director's cut, he goes full on. So when I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. Now go back to the car and sit. I don't need you here. Like he is such an asshole. While that's going on, we also see Lori having a full on raged out psychotic vision of killing Annie while she's standing in the fucking bathroom. And uh, she's playing it out in her head the same way that Michael Myers killed stand in dad. Only she's fucking taping up Annie and going to slit her throat. And this was thrown together last minute. Wasn't going to be in the movie. Neck appliance didn't fit like all. all the Yeah. All these reasons not to do it. But they did it. And it's crazy because he put a lot of thought into this movie. While I was doing research for the first one, of course, there was some crossover with the second one. And like when they were doing the like the bathroom, when they were making it, he's like, I want you to spray paint like a a, like a pentagram on here and shit like that. Like Annie and them were like, yeah. And then they're teenagers. I don't give a fuck. And they stop in the middle of it. Like he specifically said that, like he put that much thought into the spray paint on the wall. Yeah. Right. And then. 
fucking pale horse. Well, and there's even near the dividing line from where it starts to hit the clean Annie side of the bathroom. It even says on the wall, bitch, keep your side clean or yeah. keep your side clean, bitch. Like it's like, like yeah. that was all in his head. And he, like, he's literally like, she gives a fuck, but now she doesn't care anymore. Like that's well, all he wanted. It. And I, I don't think he got given the time or the money to flesh out his ideas for this movie. Yeah. In all honesty, from what nuggets we can find of how, how much of a production hell it was, which we're fixing to get into some, a little bit of detail on. So after Lori has her little psychotic episode, she makes a trip to the psychologist and we're very much deviating here specifically for the director's cut versus the theatrical version. Okay. Um, it's intercut with her being in town and holding a pig and seeing big Louis Frankenstein, which is all going to happen later in the theatrical version. And it makes no sense. It's just quick spurts of cuts because she's at the, the therapist and she's like, I, and I was walking through town and I saw this man and he was saying these horrible things to these children. And I, and I pet a pig and that, and it's just, it's just showing that all this stuff's inside of her brain, just rattling around and she can't connect the dots, which okay. makes sense for somebody having a psychotic break. And, uh, Main problem is she's out of pills. She needs her fucking prescription. And uh, she goes on a tear where she sounds like Joey Lauren Adams in Chasing Amy. Okay, yeah. When she's crying and yelling in the rain with Holden and like, like I buy it and that, that weird crying crack in her voice. And she just totally rips into her psychiatrist. And I can't deal with this. Oh, I'm not honey, strong enough and I'm tired of pretending that I am. Look. Lori, listen to me. Stay with me. You are so much stronger than you think you are. You are. Now, come on. Sit down. Sit down. Fucking let me go. And I'm pretty sure that entire scene is totally dumped in the theatrical version from what research I did. Let me ask you this. Is this movie, or did you find in your research, the same as the first one where you just can't find the theatrical cut? Um, from what I looked at on this one, the theatrical cut was not originally released. And I'll be totally honest. The video that I ended up watching to find out the side-by-side -side comparison, dude who made that said, luckily in Canada, they did a theatrical release on Blu-ray. Which is the same thing I found out about the original one. Okay. That is fucking crazy. <laughs> so uh, we then cut from the Lori Shrink episode to Brackett watching the Loomis Bad Taste interview. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he says that there's new revelations that can only be found in his new book. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lori and Annie have another screaming match upstairs while Brackett's watching this. Totally gone in the yeah. theatrical version. Because, like, the, the whole thing, and I like this better. I like PTSD, full-on rage, I'm going somewhere in my psychosis, Lori, and Annie, like, bitch, I've been trying to fuck it. We used to be friends. You live here. You don't even pay rent. And you're treating us like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like that dynamic. And it also shows her turning on the only family she has left. Yep. Much like Mikey did with Danny. Until she finds out about her real family. Anyways, on to the shake junt. Mama's shake junt. So this is the whole shake junt thing is just to give us another Michael Myers killing some people fucking scene. It's actually one of the other. It's really funny. Like some of the scenes that seem like throwaway scenes I actually feel like are the only ones that have thought. <laughs> That's the place, the terrible place that his mother worked at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he fucking hated that she had to go to. And they're fucking exploiting her on the wall. Everybody's got to go. Well, and it's also on the outskirts of town because it's a CD shake junt. So this is letting us know he's getting closer. <laughs> but uh, from where, though? 
Like, that's what I don't get. Like, the fucking ambulance was barely out Middle of Earth, are you not paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> I just mean, like, didn't the fucking ambulance leave the crime scene and bam, cow? Yes, that's why I said Brackett said to take him to county and lock it up. What fucking county were they driving to? <laughs> <laughs> the fucking Scottish one from that vampire movie on Shudder. <laughs> Boys from County L or yes. whatever. That's it. We're figuring. We're fixing this movie. Um, <laughs> we're gonna need a bigger boat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Myers shows up and he stomps "quote unquote" asshole's face in while he's taking out the trash. Now I'm calling asshole asshole because the setup for this is Jeff Daniel Phillips, who's also in Thirty One, Three from Hell, Satanic Panic was one of the OG Geico cavemen. Nice. He's also Herman fucking monster in the monsters. In the new one? Yeah. Okay, I can see that. So the whole setup is we've got the bouncer, I guess, the owner, Big Lou, and uh, herpes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Big Lou is, is like, hey, what does a stripper do with her asshole before she goes on stage? And fucking the bouncer dude's like, what? And it's like, she tells him to take out the trash. And that's why he's taking out the trash. Like, fuck y'all. And uh, he gets a good ass beaten from uh, from Mikey. Who talked shit to a guy that big at a dark alley, though? I know, right? I don't want to fuck you up. It's like, bitch, you got to look up at him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a line from like another show or another movie. But it's like, I want you to come get a chair. Come back, stand in it, and <laughs> yeah. tell that to my face. <laughs> Anyways. His character was supposed to be played by Bill Mosley. Oh. Because Bill Mosley is in all the zombie shit. Supposedly, Bill Mosley made it to set, saw what a clusterfuck the production was, and walked off set. I can believe it. <laughs> and never came back. But uh, of course, Michael Myers goes inside and he fucks up Big Lou while he's trying to bang herpes. And then Mikey ends up grabbing her and bashes her face into a mirror wall. She's dead now, too. Really? They just didn't have much of a body count in this movie. They'd have him kill mm -hmm. somebody. So we now get the flash on the screen, October 31st. Shit's happening a lot faster in this movie. Now, after seeing this fucking TV spot, Brackett goes out and gets a copy of Loomis's new book. And he reads something that kind of sets him off. And we don't know what it is yet. But he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Did you see that uh, Rob based Loomis off of Dr. Phil? <laughs> Being a full of shit doctor exploiting people for money. I can see that. I saw Stan in a couple interviews and I laughed my ass off. So uh, Brackett then calls Annie and uh, he tells her to have uh, find Lori and then call me once you do. And she's like, what is this about? Just, 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 yeah. just find her and call me. Well, Lori has gone off to work, but on her way there, she stops at a bookstore. Meanwhile, because there's so much just cut to this, cut to that. We then get Hobo Michael Myers with no mask in broad fucking daylight stumbling upon the billboard for Loomis's new book. None of this is in the fucking theatrical cut, if I remember correctly. And then Mommy pops up beside him to egg him on. He's still out there. Rich and famous. All because of our pain. Also, meanwhile, <laughs> Loomis is at his book signing when the father of Linda shows up. Yeah. Because he opens the book and there's a picture of her and he's like, you see who that is? And, and Loomis is like, she's beautiful. And he's like, well, she fucking was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, dude gets tackled by security, doesn't get a shot off. And afterwards, in the limo ride, Loomis's assistant tells him that she thinks his book might be taking things too far, possibly <laughs> ruining lives. 
We then immediately cut to Lori sitting in her car, losing her shit, right. reading the book. And uh, she rushes home and tells Annie to tell her dad that Angel says, fuck you. Right. <laughs> and she bails. So uh, Annie, of course, then calls dad to say, hey, you know, I just uh, I told her that we needed to talk. And all she said was, uh, <laughs> F- uh, Angel says, fuck you. What and, does that mean, daddy? And uh He's like, nothing. And then he sends a fucking cop over to watch the house. And the dude's like, like last Halloween. He's like, yes. <laughs> well, it wasn't went, it went so much that it's, Andy's going to get real fucking mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> that's the funny part to me. Andy's going to whoop my ass. You know, yeah. like he's afraid of Annie. So uh, upset, Lori now goes over to her work friends and show, <laughs> shows them her fucked up family history. Meanwhile, we see Loomis go on a talk show. And on this talk show, he gets nothing but ridiculed by the host, who is none other than Chris Hardwick, <laughs> who most people know as the talking dead dude. But right. we remember him from MTV's singled out dating show. Right. And of course, G4. I miss G4. Yeah. And Attack of the Show. Um, Weird Al is the second guest on the show yeah. and was only there because Chris Hardwick had just had dinner with him the other night and was like, you want me to see if he wants to be in the scene? Like, yeah, fuck. Nobody wants to be in this movie. <laughs> All right. Now. Time to get into the movie. Third act. So we see Lori and the girls head off to a costume party dressed as none other than Frankenfurter, Columbia, and Magenta. <laughs> Fucking great how we just tied these two episodes together. <laughs> Every episode ties into the one before it or the one before that, or in this case, two of them. James Gunn and the last yes. one. Yes. So Jeff Daniel Phillips pops up again, this time as the shitty joke telling MC at the fucking costume party. Yeah. And there's a lot of dirty jokes that are (laughs) cut out of both versions of the fucking movie. (laughs) So Lori's like, you know, I've been through some shit (laughs) and I've been trying to get away from this for all this time. And I just found out that I'm related to this fucker. So right. All she wants to do is get absolutely shit faced. So she starts getting plastered while Harley finds a Wolfie to bone. And uh, <laughs> so Harley and Wolfie, <laughs> and they're walking out to his van. And he's like, I don't, what's your outfit? It's like, I'm a girl dressed as a guy dressed like a chick. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get it. They're about to bone down, but he hops out to pee even though Harley would have been totally down for some water sports. And <laughs> while his dumbass who should have just peed on the girl is peeing on a tree, Michael <laughs> Myers pops out and stabs the shit out of him. And uh, he then just appears at the back of the van and fucking busts in and kills Harley too. Now Rob Zombie said on the commentary, they actually filmed her board rolling around in the van with Michael Myers just way off in the distance. Slowly. Getting closer and closer. And then finally he busts the window and kills her. And he's watching. He's like, this is just bad. We're just going to remove him and just let him appear. They could remove this whole fucking character and scene and the movie would not have changed. But wait, this is when the movie actually gets good. <laughs> Meanwhile, plastered ass Lori inside at the party slips into a vision of mommy and young Michael Myers. What do you want from me? It's almost time to come home, Angel. Is she ready? Soon. Lori starts to freak out a little bit. Maya scoops her up and takes her home. On their way there, we get to see what's currently going on at home, or brackets, 
cops sent to keep an eye on Annie, who Annie, of course, gave him shit when he got, gets there. And I, I love it. It feels like such legit. I'm the kid of a cop. Yeah. Um, Because he pulls up. It's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Turn off the gumballs. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a good scene. Yeah. And uh, so she's done banish his ass to the porch and she's inside and he walks away from the house into the darkness to have right. a cigarette. I, I did like when Brackett sit him there. He's like, what do I do if she kicks me out of the house again? He's like, then you sit in a rocker with a fucking shotgun, which is Halloween four or five. The one time Michael killed somebody with a gun. Yes. But he stabbed him with it. He didn't. That shoot. makes it okay. <laughs> oh, so of course he's has the unfortunate position of standing next to the tree that Michael Myers is hiding behind when he lights a cigarette and Michael Myers pops out and stabs his ass. He peed on his fucking flip-flop, man. Is that what happened? I don't know. Wait, hobo Michael Myers wears flip-flops? <laughs> I'm thinking of when he fucked with Joe Grizzly, man. He had them nasty uh, ass flip-flops on. Hey, Hobbit. Hobbit feet. <laughs> so we come back inside the house and we've got Annie getting ready for a bath and Michael Myers just pops up like he does. And, uh, he pounces on her alone in the bathroom and she makes a run for it. And this is one of the best scenes in the whole fucking movie because we just hear her cries and we don't see anything. Yeah. We hear shit breaking and her screaming. That's it. And we, then we then cut to Lori and Maya pulling up outside. So as Lori and Maya head inside, there's a cut scene of them having some tea and how a, a cookie is not going to make anything better. And it's just zombie said he wanted it in there to kind of slow things down based on, we just had this big emotional moment of what happened to Annie and we need to breathe before we have the reveal. And um, they go heading upstairs for bed and they start slipping in blood once they get upstairs and they see all the broken fucking furniture everywhere and they make it to the bathroom where Annie dies in Lori's arms while Michael Myers slashes the shit out of Maya, who has run downstairs to call 911 based on what they've just seen. It's a really good scene. I think the whole Annie kill thing is a good scene. Them sitting there crying and her dying really powerful, especially after we've had the whole buildup of they used to be bros. Now they're fucking at each other's throats. All that works. Like, I like all the extended Lori's fucking crazy and a bitch that's in the the director's cut versus the theatrical version. Yeah. It, it's a terrible way to put this, but it's a good payoff for everything that we've just seen of, of what's going to be the end of their friendship. Um, or not good, but an impactful end to their friendship. So since Maya actually managed to dial 911 before Mikey stabbed her to death, dispatch tells Brackett that the call came from his fucking house. Yeah. And he, of course, rushes home. We cut back to the house to see Michael Myers burst into the bathroom while Lori's sitting there crying. And this is another we don't have the money for a breakaway door shut. And they <laughs> didn't tell Tyler Maine. They just said, action, get through the door. And. According to Rob Zombie, that is a solid wood door, not even a fucking hollow core door that Tyler Maine's bashing through. He's a big, mean son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he's so nice when he's fucking offset getting in there. I know, right? They all are usually, but it's yeah. just like. Now there's two doors to the bathroom because one goes into the bedroom and one goes out to the, I guess, balcony area. Um, and Lori bolts out the other door. We then see that Brackett's making it on the scene. And of course, the other cops are already there telling him you don't want to go in there. And he sees Annie. And in the theatrical version, you get all the audio cut um, from Brad Dorf. In the director's cut, you actually have him screaming as he's collapsing in the doorway and okay. everything. And there's people that say that his acting's shitty. And first time seeing the movie, I said his acting's shitty. Um, 
then kind of watching it with like that kind of hopelessness yeah. that, that a father would have to be feeling. And it doesn't, I buy it. Yeah. I, I buy it uh, as looking at it as an adult. And sometimes the absence of sound in those kind of scenes makes it more dramatic. I mean, yeah. like when Michael killed the nurse and the mom, you know, and Deborah runs in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It plays well both ways. I like it more in the director's cut where you actually hear him screaming. Um, now we also get flashes of young Danielle Harris, like actual video of her as a little girl while this is happening, which is really fucking creepy. I don't like it when they do that in movies, especially when you're like portraying the actor or actress dying and then right. like, oh, let's use actual footage of them as a kid to make this more. And impactful. I didn't catch that. I missed That's, it somehow. It's it's fucking dark, but it works. So we then see Lori, who is bolted from the house, running through the woods, and she runs up onto a road and fucking Sean Whalen from fucking people under the stairs and eight billion other things <laughs> fucking pulls up to rescue her and uh, he hops out helps her into the side of, into the passenger side of his car and then Michael Myers pops up and slams his ass through his own windshield and then flips the car over down the ravine <laughs> this is the throwing the two by four into the ceiling scene of this yeah. movie we're like what would big Michael Myers do right here? He's going to move your fucking car like a Mentos commercial, but by himself. Yeah. And, and Rob Zombie goes in this whole thing. He's like this fucking scene, this fucking car. So this is shot in Georgia. And he's like, I didn't know Georgia was this fucking flat. Like we drove <laughs> and drove and drove trying to find a ravine. Like we wanted a car flipping down a fucking hillside and this is all we got. And uh, <laughs> he's like, now you'll notice it's a two door car in this shot. Now it's a four door car in this shot. Now it's a two door car in this shot. <laughs> um, and then the car does the one flip down the hill and Rob Zombie's like, and that's all we got. But at least the car <laughs> flipped. And then he goes on a whole thing about the car horn and like people hate it. They think it's annoying. It's like, how many car wrecks have you seen? Fucking the horn getting stuck on happens a lot and it causes more tension. It's supposed to annoy you. Like you didn't have to explain that. It's the fucking horse you need to explain. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, Michael Myers then carries unconscious Lori off to the shed with mommy and young Michael Myers leading the way. Bracket and the dude from coach. Then get a call. <laughs> yeah. And he's also, he's the, the moon guy yes. from the stand. M-O-O-N. Uh, <laughs> they get a call about another body being found up the road and then a witness saw a large man, like really fucking large, <laughs> carry a girl to a shed. And uh, we cut to the shed and in the shed we see young Michael Myers holding Lori down on the ground while Deborah Myers makes her say, I love you, mommy. And only the, only Sherry Moon Zombie can say that in that fucking creepy way. <laughs> like, I'll give her that all day long. And uh, the police surround the shed and news of the event states that they believe Michael Myers has Laurie Strode in the shed. And Loomis catches this on TV where he's watching people make fun of him on his shitty interview. Yeah. So Loomis comes on the scene trying to help and Brackett's like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) I'm going to shoot you. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so Loomis then waltz right in the shed anyway. And he comes in and he tells Lori, he's like, come with me. (laughs) And Lori's like. He's holding me. And somewhere the aliens come and shoot the fucking beam <laughs> to beam them up, right? Yeah, that's what it lo- it does look like. Some fire in the sky. It's, we know it's supposed to be the police chopper, but it really does feel like fucking Paul or something. <laughs> so Lori's screaming that she can't because he's holding her down. Stop! 
We now hit one of two endings. <laughs> I'm going to cover both, and I'm going to start with a theatrical ending since that's how it was originally done. So with Lori held down, Michael Myers stabs and slices the bejesus out of Loomis, but then he's shot by Sniper Brackett, and his body is thrown across the room because that's what bullets do in real life. To <laughs> six-foot-nine giant motherfuckers. Yes, into a pile of shed debris. Lori then says, I love you, brother, and Michael Myers goes limp. Then Lori takes his knife and stabs the bejesus out of him. And then we cut to her walking outside wearing the mask now. Mm-hmm. And she drops to her knees. The Halloween theme starts to play. Almost works. Um, and she takes the mask off. And it's like very clear that the curse or whatever you want to call it has now fully been passed on from Michael to her. And we fade into the hospital shot. Um, which is this long ass white hallway. Yeah. We're slowly going down it. Like takes a long time to go down the hallway, like really slow, still going down, <laughs> like painfully slow. And, uh, Lori's sitting there on the edge of a bed and she looks up and kind of smirks. And then we get a reverse and there's mom and the horse and then credits. Now I'm going to go ahead and say this now, but it's in both versions. This is not Lori committed post script. This is inside Lori's head. Um, that's what Rob Zombie says in both versions of the movie that that's what's supposed to be. It's much clearer in the director's cut ending, in my opinion. So in the director's cut ending, we've got Lori held down. Michael Myers grabs Loomis and busts out of the shed. None of the cops fire. And uh, he pulls off the mask <laughs> and holds Loomis up to his face and goes, die. <laughs> Jesus. So bad. And then the cops unload like a motherfucker into hobo Michael Myers and he collapses. And mommy then leads Lori outside and we see young Michael Myers laying dead next to hobo Michael Myers. Lori picks up his knife, straddles Loomis, and then the cops unload on Lori as Brackett screams no. And we get the Rob Zombie textbook stutter zoom shot that he likes doing at the end of his movies while people are being shot, which I'm fine with. So this is the director's cut ending. Yes. I own the theatrical cut and I've never seen the director's cut. Holy shit. The creepy cover of Love Hurts kicks in. (laughs) Okay. And we've got the overhead shot of everybody laying there dead now. And we're slowly coming in on Lori and we fade into the exact same hospital hallway shot with mom and the white horse. And I think that's much clearer. Obviously she's dead in this version. (laughs) So going into the her seeing mom and the horse in the hallway is like, oh, this was all up here the whole time. And I've been batshit crazy the whole time. And this was my reward because, and that's the end of the movie. Um, (laughs) Now I do think a, I, neither one of the endings really do it for me. I think a combination of the two would have been really fucking cool. Okay. Because hobo Michael Myers with no mask screaming die is just a hard fucking no. Yeah. Lori coming out wearing the mask is a hard fucking no. I like her getting, which is so fucking cliche, especially coming from me. I like her. Nobody holding their fire like they should. Fucking. We see that it has happened because she's fixing to try to kill Loomis. Cause I like that better. Like let's not have the whole die thing happen. Let's have Michael get shot by bracket 
go into the debris after like throwing Loomis outside, let's say, or that's how it, yeah. or that's how it happens. And then Lori coming out, we don't need the, I love you brother thing, but we could have her pick up his knife and him go limp and then her come outside, go to stab Loomis. It's still shown that it's the family curse. He's gone. She's full on nanners now. And then she gets the shit shot out of her, which now knowing the other version of the ending of one, uh-huh. That's really back to the well. Yeah. So that kind of poo-poo's that too. And I don't remember if this was a fan theory or something Rob Zombie considered, like I said earlier. But honestly, I like the idea you find out at the end they have to take Lori out. Myers is fucking dead from the first one. And Lori killed everybody. Yeah. Thinking it was Michael because she was present every time. Up to the point she's trying to kill Loomis now, but she thinks it's Michael. I think that would have been better. I don't know because then it's going to go into why the fuck didn't they do this earlier in the real movies with little Daniel Harris and yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so I'd probably be mad about that. I'm just saying, it. but it would have been one of those paying homage to like one of the better Halloween sequel ideas that didn't happen. Yeah. And the thing is I, I dump on this movie a lot. It's once again, well shot, well, yeah. well made, well acted original as fuck. Even if you have to be on fucking peyote to get it. Yes. And that's what Rob Zombie said. Like, I'm going to fucking go full ham and just do what I want to do. With that being said, I agree with Daniel Harris that I don't think he had a plan. I don't think so either, or whatever plan he did have got poo-pooed by the Weinsteins. Yeah. There was a, an interview where he was talking about a movie that didn't get made, and I don't know if he was directly referring to Tyrannosaurus Rex. Probably. They were saying whatever was the hottest thing that week in theaters that they were coming back to him, like, it, we need this. But just that mindset of them keep coming to him with like whatever's hot right now, put this in your movie, put this in your movie, put this in. And we've heard other stories about how much they fucked up productions. Yeah. So I cannot, I'll shit on the movie. It's the final product. Um, but I'm not shitting on Rob Zombie. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see the documentary that mm-hmm. will probably never see the do- light of day unless somebody snags a copy and puts it on the internet somewhere. That'd be really cool. Anyways, um, <laughs> I think it'd be fascinating to find out what what the real clusterfuck of the movie is. Yeah. But regardless, at least it went somewhere instead of just rehashing. Yeah. But the whole pale horse. Yeah, I get it. The plot device is just, it's so half-hearted. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it is what it is. Like, I saw the shit in a field and wrote it into a movie. Like, man, you should have fucking fleshed the shit out more. Like, I get it, and it gets it gets our character going in a direction. Yeah. But we could have had all that just with mom showing up. Yeah. The whole weird symbology and explaining the horse at the beginning. This is like trying to, okay, when, but music, when... If if you're mixing a song or you've written a song and you're showing it to someone, you don't say, oh, well, I'm still working on the on the the second bridge. So don't really listen to that part. Or when you got to try to make excuses for it as you're revealing it, explaining your joke. Yeah, exactly. You're already fucked. And that whole thing about the white horse at the beginning fucks it. I would have rather had it mysterious. That would have even been better to not have that text. I don't know how I saw this movie in theaters and somehow came up with the the Bible line about death and the pale horse. Like somehow, like my brain needed this movie to make sense. And I tried on my own. Case in point, when uh, when Lori sees the big Rorschach poster on on the therapist wall, when I'm watching the movie the first time and she's like, 
like, what's that supposed to be? And the therapist is like, I don't know. Tell me what you see. And I'm like, that's white horses and grim reapers because the black around the horses looks like a hood and the end of a, a scythe sickle, whichever one it is. Okay. And never gets said in the movie, never found it in anything I was researching. And like, that's interesting to me. Cause you're like, Oh, death on a horse. So yeah. like, Hey, that's what I saw in the Rorschach, but it never got fucking said. And I don't know, like for some reason, I, I don't know. It's like, it is an entertaining movie to watch. It is. But like, it, it's not like the, Oh, Halloween was a good slasher. Not a good Halloween remake stance. This just doesn't even fucking belong. No, with no. Halloween at all, and, and I wouldn't give it that. But it, it was definitely original, and and like you said, very well made. I'm glad you touched on Weinstein's fucking with him because I wanted to go into that a little bit. <laughs> he says that they meddled a lot in the first Halloween movie, which makes me wonder what we would have got had they not. Yeah, and you know, I went into it earlier, and you went into it more about he didn't want to do it. He didn't want anybody to do it. They were going to fuck his shit up. So he stepped in and he said he, he in his head was thinking, okay, so I was a guy, I was the, the musician that had done a couple music videos and a fucking 16 millimeter horror movie. And they gave me a beloved franchise and $15 million to make it. And they were a little scared. So they rode my ass, but I made them, you know, a bunch of money. So now that I'm doing the second one, surely they'll leave me alone this time because they know I can do it. And he told Joe Rogan that they were like psychopathic in the way they harassed him on the second one. And he said it was just so much fucking worse exponentially. And it was like, okay, yeah, you made us money on the last one, but you got to keep fucking making us money. Right. And we're not going to let you fuck this up. But he said he sat down in a meeting with the first draft of the script with Bob and Bob looked at him and said, Rob, you got a $40 million movie here, and we're not going to fucking do anything else. Yeah. And he said, I fucking made the movie, and they didn't market it. They only marketed it up to a point, and it made $40 million. Yeah. And it, he, he said, I guess Bob just fucking knows at this point, well, I only want to put this much money in marketing. We'll hit 40 if we do this. Yeah. And he fucking nailed it. And he was like, I I think we, we could have had more in a $40 million movie if he let me do it and fucking marketed it. Because exactly. he said the first one was marketed significantly better, which it was. It was fucking everywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it had to be because it was, uh, oh, my God, there's a new Halloween movie and it's not a sequel and it's yeah. Rob Zombie. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I saw that interview with the whole $40 million thing. And that's the way he tells it. That's exactly what yeah. it sounds like. Like, this is a product. We are going to create the product to be ABC XYZ. And anything outside of that is a no. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Um, so what could these movies have been? I don't know. This one's just so fucking out there. I just don't know how it could relate. Yeah. You take out, make it not a Halloween movie, and we're armchair quarterback in here, and we realize that. But, you know, make it not a Halloween movie. Give me the the inside of a psychopath's mind and it jumping from and finding out that it's the family disease, the yeah. family plague. Love all of that. Just shoehorning it into a Halloween movie did not make sense to me. The, um, the only thing that made sense would be the throwback Daniel Harris from four to five original plan and make Lori the killer. Yeah. But, you know, even with that plan, we were going to know little. I said Lori, but I, I was referring to Daniel Harris's character being the killer. Right. But we we would have known she was the killer and Halloween yeah. five when that happened. This would have been kind of neat 
that you had to like fucking really think about how she was in the room every time somebody died. Yeah, and even give us a Saul style flashback thing at the end of the movie yeah, yeah. to put to tie all the pieces together for people that didn't get it. Um, it's kind of like how Helen got blamed for Candyman. Yeah, because she was in the room every time he killed somebody. Yep, and you know it. It is what it is. Like like we said, uh, we don't think the man fucked the fucked up the movie. I mean, yeah. there's some things I don't understand, but I think the movie just got fucked. But I don't know, man. This is the first time we ever went into an episode with the original plan of fucking shitting on it. We always said we weren't <laughs> going to do that unless it was like a joke or a special occasion. And we plan to do it. And I don't know. You do some research. You find out more about somebody. You find out more about the process of getting to the film. You look at the film in a different light. It's not as bad as you thought. And then you watch the second one. <laughs> <laughs> life life lessons of foregone conclusions based on ignorance. And I don't know. I love the franchise. I love every piece of it, <laughs> except for resurrection. I forget it exists. And this is a part of, of the story now. This is a part of the history. This goes in one of the timelines. There's fucking, <laughs> I, where's the red string? I can make a diagram, you know? And, and now, you know. We're going through this right now with David the Gordon Green. One, yeah. yeah. And Halloween next year, which I hope Josh and I are still going strong with this podcast. By Halloween's episode next year, we can probably do the new Halloween trilogy because Halloween ends should come out early October. So if we're coming out on Halloween, that's going to be the, the fucking closest we've ever been on spoiler territory. <laughs> but we warn you at the beginning. So you might get Halloween again for a third year. But anyways, that's it for our 2021 Halloween episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we do our Christmas special. Yay! As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please leave us comments, questions, and suggestions at our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. There's a masterpiece.